welcome to the festive episode of Garmology. Now, we've been doing this for the past two years, maybe three years, where we get the guys together, have a chat about clothes and stuff, as is our topic, and uh, surprisingly good feedback on this. People say it's like listening to three blokes talking about clothes in a pub, which to me doesn't sound like a fantastic thing to listen to, but uh, there's no accounting for popular taste. So the three of us here, it's me, your usual host, Nick, and uh, we'll start off with uh, John. Would you like to say a few words about who you are and what's up? I am, no, I'm, I'm John Fowler. I'm the uh, English contestant. Contestant? I don't know if contestant is the right word. Uh, for gomology down on the south coast of England. Um, I am your archetypal boring middle-aged man and my voice will probably monotone and sound a little bit like Radio 4. But I've got loads of great things to say about clothes, loads of things to moan about. And uh, yeah, Merry Christmas to uh, you, Nick. Many thanks. And Sean? Hello, um, Sean Brown, just from the just outside Glasgow, uh, just out south of Glasgow, and um, I've got nothing interesting to say on the internet, so I thought I'd say it here instead. Um, but I would hope to, after three years, I would hope we can just slick into this quite easily and we'll have a lot of fun. Because our first topic of the day is naturally menswear trends of the year, men's fashion trends. I mean, skinny jeans, in or out, uh, crop tops, high or low. Uh, do we show our abs or not? Hmm. Any input? Crop tops? I, I must have missed that one. Did I? Just as well. Yeah, I think we probably all did. I, I was disturbed by my inability to buy trousers that weren't elasticated waists with built-in belts. Right. They seemed to be really very popular. People were calling them climbing pants. Yeah. And I just wanted to get a pair of trousers that I could wear casually and for work. Right. But like, were proper trousers, you yeah. know? Flies, belt loops, maybe side adjusters, normal monetary. But literally, I went to, I lived just outside Brighton, went to three independent menswear stores in Brighton. Loads of jeans. Mm. That's great. Got loads of pairs of jeans. Mm-hmm. Not a lot else. And then climbing pants. So Gramici seemed to be cornering the market on those. And, you know, I bought a pair in the end, but they are, in my opinion, kind of the sort of thing you'd have if you were in an institution of some sort and weren't allowed belts and dangerous things they're, they're, they're sort of not quite joggers not quite mm. tracky bottoms didn't quite fit any ridiculously comfortable but just not proper trousers and I couldn't get proper trousers for love and money until I found a lovely old second hand pair mm-hmm. So these uh, elasticated waists are they uh, what people were really wanting during the pandemic but they've only just now come to market because I don't know are people climbing a lot more than they used to? Very doubtful, but it just seems it seems you know. My son wears tracksuit bottoms, joggers, whatever everyone's call them, twenty four seven. That's all he'll wear. He won't wear jeans. He won't wear chinos, normal trousers. And it seems to be sort of the old man's version. And they're not quite tracky bottoms, and they're not quite comfy cords because they are in corduroy. Mm. But they've got, and I just want. I find it odd. They don't feel to me smart enough or traditional enough or trousery enough to actually wear to work. Because you would, you would always, you would have to have something covering the waist because you couldn't surely, like, as you say, they look like formal trousers, but they're elasticated. But you couldn't walk about with a shirt and tie on and elasticated trousers, could you? I mean, it would just look ridiculous. I certainly wouldn't, but I, I seem to see a few people knocking around Brighton really? doing 
that, mm. and it just it just seems very odd. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Could it be the next core? Is it sort of institution core? Oh yeah, possibly. Yeah, I was. That, you know, mm. I've got scrubs from work, mm-hmm. so if we can get institution core going, I'd probably be some sort of god for it. Mm-hmm. I have got. I've got a pair of. Um... Like overalls somewhere for like jobs around the house, you know. Like I could wear them, you know, just like your standard blue, um, like sort of cotton overall kind of things that uh, it's good for like painting jobs and things. I don't know if that'll ever, but yeah, trousers is one of the the few things I would never buy online because there's so many variations in in fit and and width and and you know pleats, not pleats, fitting. Jeans fine, generally they're fairly standard, you know, they'll, they'll give a description that's fairly standard, but trousers is something I would have to sort of definitely try on because it's easy enough to make, a, make mistakes that way, isn't it? But yeah, I'm with John. It's- and it was something I never, yeah, I never considered buying trousers hard. I always thought, mm-hmm. you know, trousers, you know, pretty standard bit of kit. Mm-hmm. It is the bottom half of everything you wear. Yeah, everybody's got a but bottom yeah, half. Really struggled getting normal trousers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you say like you're looking for sort of wool wool ones rather than anything else. So I say wool or gabardine or some sort yeah. of heavy, you know, wintertime heavyweight fabric. Yeah. Properly constructed trousers. And nobody seems to make them new. There are loads there are loads of versions on the high street, you know, your marks and sparks and your top mans, although they're all skinny, um, necks and that sort of thing had plain trousers, but none that had you know, a French bar and actually proper construction and like were yeah, what I consider proper trousers. It was a real struggle. Hmm. From what I've seen, the brand you mentioned selling their climbing trousers, I mean those trousers are as simple a construction hmm. as you could possibly make. There's nothing to it. I mean, if that's what they're selling as proper trousers these days, not hmm. really. I mean, as I said, it's 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 barely one strap up from jogging bottoms. At least they don't have elasticated ankles as well. Look very silly with a pair of brogue socks and some elasticated ankles. But now, you know. <laughs> yeah, I could just I'm just visualizing it and then you have a pair of the special needs Clark's shoes. Yeah, on. exactly. And, and it is institution called We've invented it. We're gonna be millionaires yeah. for Excellent. Instagram reel out. <laughs> yeah, I do I do have a few pairs of jogging trousers. Like I think they're not something that you give a lot of thought to buy, and it's just like they're cotton and they're jogging trousers. Are they are they in a colour that would are okay for wearing around the house and won't scare anybody, you know? And, and like that's really all your requirements for for, for jogging trousers because you generally wouldn't be wearing them out. Well, I wouldn't wear them out of the house certainly, but um, yeah, they, I mean, when you when you sort of put them on first, you're like, oh, this is good, you know? This is like I can see why they're popular, you know. Just, you can see why people wear them, but then it's just whether you do, like go down the route of like, well, hell, I'm just going to wear them all the time, or like I'll just keep them for house use, you know, that kind of thing. And you can pull them up quite far as well. They tend to be like, <laughs> and then just pull your t-shirt down. It's like, oh, this is quite comfortable, you know. But uh, that's handy if you're wearing a crop top and you're getting a bit of a draft yeah, in your tummy. Lovely. Sounds nice. You just pull your pants mm-hmm. up to your neck. Especially if you had like a tattoo around your belly button or somewhere around here and you could show it off oh no that'd be further down wouldn't it anyway so that's trousers <laughs> okay this is getting seriously mm. weird but we sort of have a at least a fairly common common style based upon 
the sort of old men of the countryside, last of the summer mm. vine. Um, is it summer wine? Mm. I forget. Probably wine. So what's happening in that sort of segment now? It seems, it seems to have gone quiet. I think it has been adopted by Gnomecore. What's Gnomecore? That, then? I've seen that one, but I don't actually know what it is. It has blown up massively. Mm. It's There's an American um, illustrator who started it a couple of months ago, I think, and it's already been mentioned in GQ. Mm. But it's basically men wearing gnome-like hats, dressing in a certain earthy Last of a Summer Wines sort of really? stuff. <laughs> I'm not sure whether he started it as a piss take, but it's become quite the thing now. Do you have to have the hat then? No, if I mean, if he reposts you, he'll just stick a hat on and add a mushroom. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's got a Wikipedia entry as well. That's I'll have to look. Oh my god! I'll have it's to, a real thing. I'll have to look then. That sounds interesting. And you think we fall into that category then? I think we've stumbled into yeah. it more like. <laughs> so like at children in the street, like saying, "Oh look, it's non gnome core." The gnome man. It's Sean the gnome. Apparently, apparently, uh, gnome core and goblin core have a bit of an overlap. All right, okay. just reading. That, that's fabulous. So it's like a sort <laughs> of Venn. Right you, could you add anything else? So it'd be like a Venn diagram of the three, and then we're sort of somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's all getting very technical because once you become a core, it also becomes a fashion right. thing, which means that. As soon as pe- enough people lose interest, well, then you're out of fashion again, and then you have to start looking for mm. a new thing. And I don't know where you go from gnomecore, no. really. No. Mm. No, the whole core thing, it was only my wife working for the fashion company I mentioned previously. It was the fact that all of a sudden her bosses were saying, look at this, it's cottagecore. Look at this, it's ladcore. Mm. And it was like, I don't, what on earth? Mm. And ladcore was literally just <laughs> dressing in the stuff that I would have, well, I didn't, but like most of my contemporaries were at university. Mm-hmm. It was like a pair of Adidas gazelles, some skinny-ish boot-cut jeans, mm-hmm. and a football shirt. Mm-hmm. And that became a huge fashion movement. You know, that's just... That's right. Was that not oh, yeah. last last year, I think? I remember that sort of coming and yeah. going quite quickly, didn't it? And there was like sort of, it was long enough ago that people kind of like thought it was okay to do it again, which just feels really <laughs> odd. And that's like when you feel old because you see people wearing things that you missed the first time right because you thought it was stupid yeah. and then it's coming back why 2k that seems to be it took me ages to work out like why everything was referred to as why 2k and it's like things i was looking at buying on ebay and it would say why 2k i'm like what why is that and it's like maybe something yeah. i mean you know i was already nearly 30 it's like jesus that's crazy and, and it's now seen as some sort of trend, but I can't even really identify what it is. I can't like narrow it down to it being a, something specific. It doesn't seem to be specific. I don't know. Boot cut, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Could be the whole jeans and shoes thing back again. Yeah, je- jeans and shoes. It's jeans and shoes. Mm. It's that, well, that's what men have been wearing for, what, since the 50s? Yeah, aye, pretty much. It's, oh, it's odd. And the jeans and shoes was a sort of boot cut, extra long legs, and pointy, awful shoes. There's a, there's a there's a guy I used 
to, or still follow on Instagram that basically goes around Brighton follow, fo- following men and photographing their, their jean shoe combos. I'm trying to I'll send you that. I'm trying to remember who this guy is. But I think he's maybe got into a bit of trouble from time to time. But he just like photographs these and it's it's quite funny. He doesn't do it very often, but like it's just always these like shoes that are the colour of chicken corma and like widish long jeans that are worn at the back. And he must stand at like traffic lights and stuff photographing people. It's quite good. Bit sick, but it's, it's a look I found very popular with men from the Southern Hemisphere. Aussies and South African men. What's that? That that look, the bootcut jeans, the the chicken korma slip on shoe, yeah, thing seems to be something very popular with South African really? and Aussie men. Huh. I don't know why. Yeah, there's obviously there's some cultural phenomenon that I've missed. Huh. It's a bit like sort of top geary sort of. Um... As well, isn't yeah. it? Or like old top, or maybe new top. I don't know, but it's got that kind of look. Well, Jeremy Clarkson, really. Yeah. yeah. But there's the Jeremy Clarkson claw thing. We, we've discussed this before about the sort of leather jackets aren't quite right, and you know how cool leather jackets are mm. theoretically, unless you're Jeremy Clarkson in a leather jacket, and then it's immediately not cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's a difficult area, a leather jacket, isn't it? I think that one you bought earlier on in the year, John, was quite smart, and it kind of got me thinking, right. I wouldn't mind one, but I just and I was the same with sheepskin coats, but I knew that um, they just wouldn't, it just maybe wouldn't look right, you know, uh, on me. I just don't think I could um, sort of pull it off that well, so I decided not to. But yeah, yeah, I think like leather jackets for a long time were um, just like a no go, weren't they? It was just like an absolutely no go area. But I think John, yeah, not blowing smoke up at our end, John, but the one you bought. I don't know what kind of moment it was. It looked fantastic. And I thought, yeah, that's really good. But um, it sort of opened it up. But yeah, I think on the whole... It's one of those things I keep trying to plug at because I really think a leather jacket should be cool. Yeah. I've tried so many times and they just aren't. Um, and they end up getting eBay quite quickly. It's kind of, look at this. It's like, oh, I look a bit yeah, yeah like Jeremy Clarkson. Yeah. Or I look like someone who should be going to a very trendy pub <laughs> yeah. but never get a leather jacket. It's like you're going out jacket. Or... It's like... Yeah, that sort of racer style ones that they had for a while, where it was like the, you know, it, it was like the sort of sort of Bellstaff style collar, yeah. And they were like they had maybe a stripe down the the sleeve or a stripe down here or whatever, and they were like the really stiff plastic sort of leather that was like really awful and shiny. You know, there was a lot of them for a while. Ninety nine, ninety nine, from the officers' club, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah. Good. Could it be that things like this are like um, trench coats? Because trench coats, there's, I mean, they keep sort of coming back into fashion, but really they only look good on these willowy young mm. girls that they use in their shoots. Because if someone of a certain age and um, body shape puts one on and does up the belt and wears it like it's intended mm. to be worn, it's not a very flattering no. look. No. Do you, by trench coat, do you mean the double, the sort of standard double breasted? Tan, the sort of yeah, Burberry the trench, uh, World War One, I, yeah, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think I've got like a single-breasted one that has a, a belt on it, and it's like a Ralph Lauren one that's got a lining in it as well. But I used to wear it quite a lot because because it was single-breasted, it didn't look too bad, you know. But I think like double-breasted, maybe maybe not. But as you say, yeah, you need to be quite tall and thin and um, t- to pull that off. But I did buy a new raincoat this year. Um, like new, new, um, but 
phase keeping it for my Christmas from Mango, and it was it was reduced in the sale, but it's just a, a standard sort of tan single breasted uh, raincoat, and it's really nice. I really like it. Um, it's quite long, um, but I think I'll wear it. I think I'll get quite a lot of use out of it. But it's not belted, you know. It's just like a sort of standard um, that you could wear like over a jacket, another jacket, or whatever. But um, yeah, I think there's a place for them, definitely. Yeah. But they are incredibly hard to pull off because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I've got the dispatch riders coat, which I think looks quite cool. Mm-hmm. But I'm not quite tall enough for it. I quite happily admit that it looks a bit. <laughs> I look a little bit boxy in it, let's say. Yeah. And I've got a similar thing. I think what you're talking about. I've got an S.H. Kelly Ventile jobby. Yeah. But that always looks a little bit too open all hours. I do look a little bit like I'm in a shop coat. Yeah, the co- the colour of it's a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sort of brownie. You should have a brush in your hand, you know. Yeah, I do. I always feel like I should be four candles. And yeah, that. yeah. Just making some terrible corner shop joke constantly in it. Which... I do, I do, I do have a Burberry one that, um, is if I'm ever going to wear it, and I've had it a while, that I'll need re- like reduced in, in length because it's just that little bit too long. But it's a, it's a kind of almost white sort of creamy um color, which is 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 one of the more modern ones. It's not like your standard one, but it's just it's nice. But you would need to wear. I think a suit underneath it because they're generally quite voluminous. You know, the modern one's not quite so. But you know, when I used to look at buying um, an older Burberry one, I was always looking at like size thirty four or thirty six before I could get one that would just be a normal size. Because um, even like a thirty eight was was huge. You know, but that's what they're designed to be. They weren't designed to be sleek. They were designed to be sort of over, you know, over at least a, a wool suit kind of thing. I think you can get you can get away with it a little bit more if you go heavier fabrics. If you wear like a great coat, mm. an army coat, mm-hmm. naval officers, you still got the length because they're heavier, more structured. Mm-hmm. You don't look quite as weird. You don't need to be willowy. You can be a bit more yeah. stout. But yeah, I agree. I mean, you need it. You need a a big wool coat, don't you? I think a, a double-breasted wool coat looks absolutely great as long as you wear mm-hmm. it undone. Mm-hmm. But once you do it up, you just look a bit yeah like a prick. Yeah. I know what you mean. Uh, it looks a bit uh, like sort of trying a bit too hard sort of thing. It looked like a little dictator or something. Uh... <laughs> a fashion dictator. <laughs> <laughs> but we have this expression here where, where something looks better on the hanger mm. than on the body. And I think a lot of these, like the John's Dispatch Rider coat, you see photos of it and you think, wow, that's a fantastic mm. looking coat. But then you sort of, well, I mean, you really need the motorbike and the helmet and the driving rain to pull off the look. And it's ridiculously impractical. You just kind of think it's it's, it's vulcanised rubber cotton mm-hmm. from the Second World War with like enough strap. Because it's meant to be strapped up in three directions to hold the rain in. It's got a map pocket. You kind of go, this is... And then you just kind of put it on and kind of go, oh, it's really heavy, slightly stinky, really very sweaty. And um, bizarrely, <laughs> I've... I've got one of the last surviving dispatch riders in the world live in our village, and I was talking to him about them, how universally hated they were oh, right. by dispatch riders, and they all wanted international barber international suits, yeah. but the Navy took them all, and he was very annoyed when he wasn't allowed to wear one anymore, and he had to go back to wearing this the dispatch stinky Mac. So was it one of those things you bought then, you kind of knew before you bought it that it would be like that, and, and you but you just had to have one? or Yeah, it was one of those ones, I, It was it's, um, it's kind of that, ultimate piece of design you go that's got everything cool about it you can mm-hmm. possibly imagine until you get it and then you just kind of go mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the leg straps that attach it to your legs when you're on a motorbike, I'm never going to have walking around no. Brighton Town Centre. I no. look like a loon. And the fact it is old and stinky and a bit, you know, yeah. impractically heavy. And it's <laughs> yeah. not actually all that waterproof, really. Yeah, it's a bit and you kind of go, and you know, a couple of photographs, I look amazing. I'm like, that's ace. And then you just kind of go, I'm never going to wear that because what do you wear it with? How do you... Mm. Yeah. It... But vulcanised cotton is like that. It's sort of, it is the ultimate waterproof fabric, but it works both ways. So while it's keeping the rain out, it's also keeping all your body moisture on the inside, giving you a nice mm-hmm. steam bath. Yeah, it's like a sweaty scout tent, but you're wearing it all the time. Mm. It's just not yeah. pleasant. So with a good wool layer, if you're standing immobile, And have you, okay. have you yeah. got anything that would fall into that category, Nick, that you've bought that you bought just to have it and it's kind of deeply impractical and like, you know, but you knew that before you bought I it. I do. Think. Yeah, kind of. I mean, you've got the, the classic uh, Swedish uh, extreme winter coat, the one that has about a sheep and a half's worth of mm. sheepskin on the inside. It weighs, I mean, probably weighs almost 10 kilos. <laughs> Uh, probably more like four, but no, no, they're heavy. I did, I did it, a, one of those kilo it, sale things where you can get them for fifteen kilos, and it was more than fifteen kilos. They had to charge me for two bags when I bought one, <laughs> so they are really heavy. They are. I mean, the canvas outer is so thick, and there's so much sheepskin yeah. going on, and just buttoning it up. I mean, you have to have it quite extreme finger mm. strength. <laughs> You've got all this yeah. coat on, and you're thinking, "Well, let me see if I can spot yeah. the enemy." Whilst I'm standing here in this cold wood. So I take it, it doesn't get a lot of wear then, though. It's uh, like John pointed out, it does make for excellent right, photos on, right. on Instagram. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I've actually worn it sort of off mm. my property. <laughs> no, I, I wore mine for about three days on the North Norfolk coast in the winter right. a couple of years ago and, and then found it horrendously impractical, even for walking dogs around the North Norfolk coast because it is. Yeah a tonne and a half of coat yeah. that you can't really move in. Yeah, it was beautifully warm. It's, it, you know, you could live in it, but it's uh, not... Do you have to, like, yeah. if you were stopping in a pub, you'd have to phone ahead, make sure they had they could accommodate you. An extra table, yeah. yeah. you got, like, a, a, a coat rack <laughs> that'll take it, you know. I don't want to take anything off the wall or anything, you know. <laughs> but, but those are pretty extreme examples of, I mean, let's face it, really old designs that were made for a very specific purpose. I mean, you have modern coats also that really fall into the same problem. Uh, as we mentioned, the bonded cotton, the Macintosh mm. fabric. I mean, you have coats like the, the Nigel Caborn Cameraman, which is half uh, Macintosh fabric and half right. Harris Tweed. I've always wondered, now, is that a coat for cold weather, for yeah. rain? Or, I mean, what what was the Just idea? Look, I would imagine, eh? No. Yeah. It looks great, but you try running around London for the day, and you are soaked yeah. in sweat. <laughs> just, and if it's raining, yeah. well, that's a lot of tweed to get wet. Mm-hmm. You know, even my experiment by uh, lining tweed with a uh, ventile seemed really logical at the time. Then you realise the tweed has to get wet for the ventile to work properly. And like, how often do you get really, really wet? I mean, you're not like outside generally if the weather's like that you won't go out or you'll just stay out for a short period of time you know um so you know how much do we actually need outerwear that 
that is that level of practical and and slightly not practical at the same time, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, you know, do you need necessarily a coat that's going to keep you warm in minus 20? I know we've had bad weather, but you, I don't know about you, but I'll tend to not go out. I'll just tend to, like, go from the back door to the car. So quite often, like, I'll just put a body warmer on, you know, or a gilet, as they say. Um, but because I can drive in it and it's fairly warm to get to the car and it's practical, but you, you kind of then start to question your need for like coats at all, really. I do sometimes, anyway. You know, well, we work. We work on. We've got the dog walking wardrobe, which has to be all singing, all dancing, yeah, all weathers, and stuff. so you know, we've had minus ten, eleven a couple of yeah. times around here in the last couple of weeks. It's about as cold as it gets on the mm-hmm. south, and it's kind of like, well, what do you wear for a dog walk? Mm. And it's kind of like, well, our normal, you know, wax jacket's not really warm enough. So we've got these big down mm-hmm. jacket things. The wife and I have the same jacket, which is an odd Harry and Hilda style <laughs> mixed thing. We look the same, which is totally unintentional. But they're the warmest thing in the universe. And you kind of go, they're great for walking the dogs, but I would never wear that in the town because it's absolutely gigantic and has no real purpose. And you kind of go, yeah, they were designed in Colorado for people that live in mountains in Colorado. Uh-huh. Great. I don't live in mountains in Colorado. The downs, you know, as cold as and woody as they get, it's not quite. And we also then have the waterproof stuff. So we've both got waterproof trousers, and it's like we've tried. I've tried um, old Trailmaster trousers, mm-hmm. which are probably great again on a motorbike, but awful for walking, walking about, yeah. the amount of time. We're out two or three hours a time, and it's kind of like, do you wear wellies? Do you wear boots? Yeah. Do you wear warm stuff? Do you wear dry stuff? It's it's. A whole myriad of, of options. Do you need a hood? That's the other thing. So, like, you know, and then if it's a hood, most hoods don't stay up, do they? So, um, yeah, it's like they tend to fall down. And then if you have one that does stay up and it's fastened under the chin, then you look like a nutter. You know, it's like so. That's the other thing. <laughs> hoods don't work. Well, speaking of dog walking, though, uh, we've had cold weather here. It was about minus thirteen, <laughs> and I was. Yeah. <sighs> I found my legs were getting cold because we were down by the sea and we got home and I, I thought, well, I wonder if, is there a warmer jacket available? So I went down a slight rabbit hole and uh, I found myself looking at Canada Goose snow mantra jackets, which are specifically made for the Antarctic research right. stations. <laughs> and I actually started looking at yeah. secondhand ones until I pulled myself up and thought, hang yeah. on a minute. I'm not in Antarctica. I'm not working outside. I don't need another 15 kilo down jacket mm-hmm. or something like that. So I, I dropped that mm-hmm. idea. Well, we've got. I've sensibly. got the. I've got the RAF Ventile Parker, mm-hmm. which is the, cold, the extreme cold weather Parker. Which, if it gets below about five, that's the, the, my go-to coat because mm-hmm. I can just whack it over the top of everything. It's mm-hmm. a size eight, so it's designed for a giant. I can put it over absolutely everything I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. I can live in a tent and I can walk around anywhere in that and it's waterproof and it's but it's not particularly practical unless it's really exceptionally yeah, freezing or doesn't happen that often, does it? I mean it's not no. you know but you kind of like look forward to it because when you do get you go, ah, get a big coat out. You know, I'm I'm serious yeah. now, I'm not mucking about. I'm I'm you know, this isn't about fashion. <laughs> this is like a practical thing, you know. I've got I've got a last man winter I scored this like Montclair puffer jacket but it's it's not got a shiny finish it's like a matte um checked sort of like gun checked style pattern on the outside it's really really nice it's, i've not seen anything else like it it is, it is a genuine one 
but because it's not got any exterior badging, it's got a small like tag near the bottom. Um, but because the, the there's no branding on the arm like most of them nowadays, I got it for like 20 quid or something. Nobody was bidding for it um, secondhand. And it's a fantastic coat. And it's like really well made, really warm. Um, in fact, I got Faye one just about three months ago. Again, heading into winter when you think these things would sell. And it's like a, a, a puffer style one from Montclair. But again, no exterior badging at all. Um, and I think I only paid 40 quid for it and it's, it's a lovely coat that she she wears dog walking you know um as well so there's a there's a whole story there as well so like if it's not something's not got like say if it's stone island and it's not got the badge on it i know most of them do but you know what i mean so does that suddenly make it you know yeah. less sellable or whatever and it's it's incredible how the well the stone the stone island the arm badge thing is really weird because there's there's been you know stone island to merge with somebody else and there's lots of all those companies monocler and Thurman yeah. and somebody else have all now won right so tk Maxx has had a bout of stone island all right in okay recently and that they're expensive in this tk Maxx. they're still three four hundred pound apart yeah and you kind of sit there and go well, that's a, you know and you, I, I admire them for the construction materials and stuff not my bag really. yeah but they've all got the, the tag missing. And you kind of go, well, they don't sell because they haven't got the tag. Even in TK Maxx, yeah. a, a quarter of their retail price, yeah. people aren't buying them, whether you know whether the market's not quite right for TK Maxx. But you see them and then a few months later in the reduced section. Uh-huh. It's odd, isn't it? Because they haven't got yeah. that little... Yeah. I, 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 I say it's, it's odd, just... but I... I... <clears throat> Generally, I'm not generalizing when i say generally but i am obviously that people that are buying that are are displaying they want to display that it's a, a stone island hence the reason they'll buy a cotton hoodie for 200 quid that is nothing special just to have the the badge on the side and wear it you know all the time or or um as you say with the montclair as well but it'll have the badge you know it's on it's always on the on the arm that They'd like to display. I think Canada Goose, you were saying as well, Nick, that went through a right period of popularity, didn't it? Where there was fakes abounding everywhere um, of, of these Canada Goose jackets, you know, just because the price was so so crazy that, that there was a sort of demand for them. So, you know, it's odd. Well, Montclair is one of these brands though, that used to be really good Mm. way back and i think it went into decline and then it's been bought up or the brand name has been bought up it's been sort of fashionized uh, i did hear though that um that there was this uh swedish series on netflix called uh, snubber cash about gangsters mm. in sweden and they were all wearing pretty much montclair all the time shiny mm. montclair and sort of high-end fashion mm. stuff and it was very, very obvious that it was Montclair because, of course, yeah, there's big yeah. patches everywhere. And then you have all these people watching this and thinking, now, would I like one of those? No, it's a bit mm-hmm. gangster, isn't it? <laughs> mm. <laughs> or is it the way around people are saying it and going, oh, I want to be a bit gangster? That's that's true. But there is that look. I mean, we don't get it so much up here, but I see it on TV programmes and that sort of gangstery roadman black hoodie and black trackies john you've probably it's probably more prevalent down your way than yeah yeah you know not that you live in the ghetto there's definitely there's definitely a subculture of yeah youth to 20 somethings who dress like that because they want to appear to be gangsters yeah but really aren't terribly gangstery 
But we've got the same Yellowstone. The I sold the jacket from Yellowstone middle of last year when Yellowstone wasn't that popular. Right. But I picked up for an absolute no, it was about 10 quid. I sold it for about 200 pounds because it's the, the jacket the guy wears in Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. And you kind of there's, there's obviously a tie and like the monocle stuff. Like you're saying, it was it was a great company. It used to make Italian military uniforms at one point. Yeah, and it was it, a contract manufacturer, and it had its fashion thing and it had its ski thing. Uh-huh. And there's lots of yeah, because it was it was originally skiing, wasn't it? It was like a... yeah, but it's odd the popularization of stuff on TV. I don't think I would ever buy one with the arm the the badge on the sleeve. I don't think I would want to. You're more of an undercover yeah, drug dealer, sure. Yeah, sort of like drug dealer, but then he's trying to leave the business. A bit like Layer Kate. You see Layer Kate? I could be like that guy. That could be me. Yeah. Right. Apart from. Is that is this sort of Layer Kate mm-hmm. core? Layer core. There will be. There, there's going to be. Because <laughs> Yellowstone. I, I see men knocking around here now dressed like cowboys because Yellowstone. You can't write. Like, it's Southeast England. Yeah. And it's. And that the jacket you sold, John, that Yellowstone, forgive my ignorance, is that is that a kind of cowboy thing or. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Western workwear jacket. It, right. I can't remember the name of the company that make them. Schaefer, I think, right. or something along those lines, and they're a Western wear company that make ranch clothing mm-hmm. for cowboys. Literally, that that is their their thing. So again, it should be quite sturdy and, and made to. It's a really well made bit of kit. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a zip in lining and stuff, and it, it's a it's a hard. It's, it would be a good jacket if I rode horses around the Midwest. Mm-hmm. I I walk dogs in Sussex. It's not quite the same thing. Even just a bit of sheep rustling. Yeah, or... something like that. But um, there's been times you're saying, like, monocular with that. Um, uh, Jacques-Marie Mage, sunglasses on Yellowstone. I'm only saying Yellowstone because I'm watching now. All of a sudden, all these brands are throwing their stuff at it mm. and getting a bit more exposure. So I don't know whether Chicken or Egg, it's a programme that people are watching, so they're doing it, or people are buying things so they're seeing it on it. It's gonna, it's... I suppose it's good for these businesses that they can revive themselves, you know, smaller smaller businesses. I noticed that there was one of the... Um optical companies that must have supplied the glasses for um harry palmer in the in the spy film the Len dayton films from the 60s who had yeah. suddenly must have it's almost as if they just realized wait a minute there are specs you know and then they're like advertising everywhere that they've they've got these 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 frames that were the ones and they're not they just look like another pair of heavy frames you know nothing special but uh, it's, it's almost as if they somebody had been digging in the archive and then remembered that that oh wait we supplied them that's cool but we should push that you know that's good like Persol ones as well because there's always that Steve McQueen yeah. connection with Persol but they're still not that expensive they're still Persol glasses are, are still sort of reasonably priced at 150 sort of pound uh, for a for a pair of frames and they're beautiful frames they're really well made and you know they're nice but. These days they are owned by Luxottica. Yeah, no, you don't like so. that. Everything one, owns you? everything. Oh, they're all owned by Luxottica now, aren't they? Yeah. Everybody. You have plenty of independent. Cutler and Gloss are still Kirk independent. Kirk, Banton yeah. Frameworks. It's, 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 it's quite a vibrant underground scene. Your, what's it, uh, Specs, uh, John, uh, French American guy. Oh, the Jacques Marie Rage, the guy that used to do the. He used to the, he was the designer for the Volnet or whatever they were called before opening. But they're brilliant. I've got two pairs. They're the best glasses I've had, sunglasses wise ever. Mm. But speaking of uh, TV film tie-ins, it does seem like there's an awful lot of that going on now. Whether, especially say something like James Bond comes out, you can sort of before the film comes out, you can get the full outfit because all the suppliers are sort of pushing their mm-hmm. Bond connection. And I have wondered. 
uh, given that all creatures great and small, the Yorkshire vets are back again for another Oh, there'll be a Christmas special now. There was just the third season now on telly. And Fair Isle Sweaters and Tweed is sort of having a moment. Are you talking about the, the series or the... Because the Yorkshire vet is another thing, like, in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about all creatures great and small. Oh, the old, right. um, we discussed last year how incredibly well-dressed yeah. they were to be working vets. I mean, they were changing their tweed suits yeah. and whatever several times a day. Yeah, and how many, how many sets just, of clothes they had at that time period. Yeah. The, in the, the mind-blowing yeah, They've got a lot of gear. Mm. Yeah. Again, like, I've got last of summer wine, when you go back to the, the sort of earlier ones, they've all got their own little style, you know? They've all got, like, like, Clegg's, like, a layering king, but he, he's got his cardigan <laughs> and, his, and his, <laughs> uh, his jacket, and he just, like, he, he's got it spot on, you know? Got all the size and writing of it. Yeah, the 1960 uh, pattern smock comes up there as well, military smock. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Nice, desirable item now. was terrible. Now, uh, you know, I think last of summer wine core is definitely the way we should go because uh-huh. I'm I'm all over compo. Yeah. I've got that look down to a T pretty much. He, he's quite known core then, isn't he? Compo. Compo is with his string, piece of string yeah. as a belt. It's probably got like a- nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so it set my grandfather up for decades. The string for belt. He was a <laughs> big fan of string for a belt. An old farmer. Excellent. Oh dear. Well, why not? I mean, if it's you know, uh, if it does the job, then why not? Indeed. Anyway, next. What's the next question? <laughs> I, I was wandering around Oslo the other day, and I was seeing Fair Isle sweaters in all these shops, and I was. A- growing a little bit annoyed because they weren't very nice ones but it was also kind of like that's my mm. thing <laughs> don't you go selling it to everyone else <laughs> <laughs> I remember getting my first Aaron sweater um, as in 1986 so I was 15 and it was just the same as this, it was an M&S one um, and I got that and, and, and a pair of wool trousers and that was like Christmas sort of type gift and the grey and I wore that to parties and everything over, you know, when I was like fifteen and I had this like Aaron uh Aaron sweater on, you know. It's like absolutely nuts. But um this what the one I've got on today is a sort of when Marks and Spencers they tried to, to, to sort of reimagine some of their older lines and, and bring them back. But it's not hundred percent wool, it's like seventy percent and then thirty percent polyamide or stuff. Which means it washes better and, and that, but it's not. There's always that inkling in your head that it's not 100% wool, so you're kind of like, must be crap, you know? Well, yes and no. I mean, again, wandering around, looking at stuff that is sort of sold as wool and seeing how much polyester mm. and polyamide and stuff is in it. I don't know. Do Are people getting the message? Are people buying less stuff that isn't pure wool? Does anyone really care? I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm I'm fairly fanatical about the real wool thing, and I and I and I and I you know I, it's been my birthday recently. Wife bought me a, fair, a nice fair old sweater on your recommendation, actually, Nick. So they are, uh, I think it might have the Ooh. same one as you actually, which is slightly disturbing. Um, but yeah, wool socks. I really like wool socks in the winter in, in boots. But trying to find yeah, and I know 100 wool socks are not practical. They wear out really quickly. Mm-hmm. They're near impossible to wash without shrinking or destroying. But I just can't go. Or thirty percent polyester because I know that. Yeah, I know it, it's it's a real. You know, you're right, and and again, like back to trousers where, like, 
you know, was looking at next, and I couldn't find any wool trousers. Every pair of trousers that they had was either polyester viscosity mix or was just all polyester. And like, okay, you know, they might wash well, they might not need to iron them, but it's just that like feeling of them. They just don't feel right. You know, it just feels like wearing something that's, and they could argue, the manufacturers could argue that it's like, it's obviously for them, um, oh, it's a longer lasting item, you know? So um, has it got green credentials because it's, because it's a longer lasting item, but you guarantee that they're only going to get worn a few times before they lie in the back of a wardrobe and then end up in landfill anyway. So, and and stay there forever because they're polyester, you know. So, but yeah, all the fast fashion companies will claim dubious things with their, you know, you'll get more wear out of it, or mm. it was no, it's made from recycled polyester, which I see a lot now, and recycled fleece and mm. recycle. Like, well, it's still pretty grim and what do you do to recycle it i'm pretty sure that's not the cleanest no process no no a bit but no it is yeah. i think in the high street certainly from what i've seen it's pretty prevalent that that knitwear to get a jumper is very rare it'll be 100 wool um the only one you maybe see it is maybe merino wool which isn't it's okay but it's again you have to be quite like svelte and thin to get merino to suit you I, I find that i used to have lots of it and then realized it didn't really suit me so i kind of just shifted it all on you know uh like i'd obsessively buying john smedley jumpers until i realized that you don't actually suit that very much so just kept a few items like older ones and they are wonderful though for displaying the middle-aged spread i mean the way they sort of drape around your body here yeah. well they do that yeah but again crit like the ones that I bought in the nineties, the fit is regular, normal jumper roomy size, but anything that's sort of beyond about two thousand, it just sort of comes right in at the waist. You know, it's like fine over the shoulders, and then it's like boom. You know, it's like sucks you right in. It's terrible. There was this weird thing that men obviously their shape changed dramatically in about two thousand, two thousand and one, mm. and everything became skinny fit mm-hmm. overnight. Yeah, I you know five foot nine, five foot ten, forty two chests. Mm. I think I'm fairly man-sized, but everything... If I see anything that has skinny fit on it, particularly shirts, I know they're not going to do up. Mm. I can get the neck done up, 16-inch collar, no problem at all, but I can't get the, this four buttons on the front that won't yeah. go anywhere. Yeah. And I don't know who they do fit, because I don't think I'm particularly weirdly shaped. Exactly. And you think, are they narrowing down... Like, completely narrowing down their, their customer base? Because, you know, you're... As John said, they're hardly going to fit anybody. I've got shirts that are, are bought that have classed as large, and I can't get them on. You know, and I'm 32 waist. I'm not, I'm like a 40 chest. I'm not massive. All right, I'm not thin, but, you know, a large shirt should should fit okay, whereas I've got, like, older shirts, wooler, wool shirts from, say, Mulberry or whatever, that are like a 15-inch collar, so they're not not that big. And they fit absolutely fine. But then again, you you just see men wearing ill-fitting shirts these days as well. I see a lot of poorly fitted suits and shirts. They, you know, if it's kind of tailoring, which is almost died off anyway, I find it very odd that I can't wear a suit to work anymore. Mm. But if I do see anybody in a suit and a shirt, they don't fit them. Mm. Richie Sunak, our wonderful, uh, wonderful, uh, is a perfect example of the skinny fit suit that doesn't fit him. And if you see somebody like that, does it annoy you or do you just let it pass? 
it used to annoy him. It used to really annoy me. And I'm just like, if you buy, why are you buying stuff that doesn't fit you? And, you know, probably playing a lot of money for stuff that doesn't yeah, fit you. Yeah. Because it can't be comfortable. Yeah. I, I, I can't understand, you know. No, I, yeah. Will you occasionally approach them in the street and harass them about it? I haven't yet. I haven't yet. It, it could happen. <laughs> I can't get. The, that's where we know it gets yeah. serious. Well, what are you doing? No, stop that now! It's ridiculous. Stagger out weather spoons on a Christmas lunch time and see somebody wearing a a tight suit on their lunch break, and you'd just be like, "Oi, get no you oh, no socks! No, stop it! <laughs> Start throwing things at them." Uh, I think one of the the points about the sort of mixed wool fabrics that we see is that many of the small makers probably are buying fabrics that there are available and that it's the fabric makers that are limiting what is available because I see smaller British brands making, say, waistcoats out of wool looking quite nice but I think they're probably not big enough to be able to custom order the fabrics they'd really like to use. So they're having to use what is available, which will often be 50% polyester or whatever. Because we're being told that the price of wool has never been lower. It's like they can shear shear a sheep and just throw the wool off because it's it's not viable to sell it on. But is it because if you've got a smaller manufacturer and they're having to then buy wool, they may have to pay a bit too much for it because there's less people producing wool cloth. Is that what you're sort of getting at? I think it's a chicken and egg situation that if enough uh, makers were saying, we want pure wool cloth, then the people supplying the cloth or fabrics would actually make it. But if that's not happening, then -hmm. it's not happening. Um, I mean, a strange example, but I bought a duffel coat last week from SEH Kelly. And for me, it's quite remarkable because I know the person who wove right. the cloth. Some goats are woven mm-hmm. in the bone. And I can know which farm has the Herdwick mm-hmm. sheep that were sheared to make mm-hmm. <laughs> the wool. And then SEH Kelly, who's also been on the podcast, as has yeah. some goats. Um has designed and had the coat made cool. in London, and it, but that's so planned and tightly controlled. From these sheep will supply the wool. This person will make the cloth. These people will design and make the coat. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that happens really often and at it, all. And it certainly wouldn't happen to any scale, you know. So if you were producing anything to scale, you wouldn't get that, you know. Potentially that level of like, yeah, it's this flock of sheep and it's this, um, you know, it's this this person that's woven the cloth. It would be machine woven and, um, you know, it it would be sheep from anywhere within the UK. Um, but I think it just don't know. I don't know if those days are gone where like actual just like jumpers are made of wool and trousers are made of wool and shirts are made of cotton and that's what you these things were made of, you know. Um, whereas there is a market for it, it's like it seems to be diminishing quite quickly, um, and the prices seem to be going up considerably. You know, well, that might also be a chicken and egg situation, whereby if people knew that it was possible mm. to ask for it, 
it might be supplied. But if, I mean, if I'm going looking through your usual menswear fashion mm. shops, I mean, if that's what's available, then that's mm-hmm. what I would buy if I didn't know that there was better stuff over yonder mm-hmm. horizon. I mean, I remember, again, sort of mid-80s, and we used to have a weekend trip out, you know, with the parents bundle you in the back of the car and you'd go away for the day. One of our, one of the places we used to go to quite a lot was over to St Andrews because it was only maybe 20, 25 miles away. And it's a nice town, it's an interesting town. We'd all inevitably end up in the in the in what was one of the original Edinburgh woolen mills in St Andrews, which is right down on the on the um, I think it's called the Scores, which is a, a street, which is apparently the highest real estate costs in in, in Britain now. This little street that overlooks the um, the golf courses, like the 18th tee, and it was just it literally was this this warehouse packed to the rafters with all sorts of woolen jumpers and they were cheap as chips and they would be like any shade any neck any size you wanted and and they would just be piled in stacks and you would you know you would you would kind of stock up on these these jumpers um and they were all wool and they were all they were all uk made you know they would either be cashmere or they'd be lamb's wool or they'd be shetland wool or you know you could get uh Anything and that I'm only going back sort of mid eighties, you know, at, at, at the earliest kind of thing. And I think it was still there up until about the early nineties. Um, I worked there briefly in St Andrews, and it was still there then. That was about ninety one, ninety two. So, given that you were about fifteen at the time, did you appreciate how awesome? That well, was? I liked jumpers. I was a fan of the jumper. Um, hence, getting the iron one for my Christmas and Christmas eighty six. So. Yeah, I was able to like sort of select a few and and um, quite quite enjoy them. Yeah, um, especially like things like Lyle and Scott and stuff, which were kind of trendy at the time. Pringle in sort of primary colours. But it's odd to see how something like Edinburgh Woolen Mills obviously changed and changed hands, and as a brand, isn't mm. that anymore? Will it even exist anymore? Is it still going? Is it not? Um, I think just about all the shops have closed down. I think there's maybe a few left, um, sort of four or five dotted around. But on the whole, yeah, it's not. It's not because uh... they were in every UK high street yeah. for decades. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and it was it was a kind of traditional style of clothing. You know, it was like woolen skirts for women and tweedy things, and you know. There was a there was a market for it. I mean, there's a place in Scotland. You, John, you've probably heard of it called House of Brewer. Have you heard? Of it? Yes. Like country clothing. Yes. People go from all over Britain to visit this. Um, I think it's quite near Aviemore. This huge place that sells um, sort of country clothing. It's called, and it'll be people that dress in a in a sort of certain way, and they go there. And it's like it's not cheap, you know. It's not like it's not discount warehouse in any way. It's all dear stuff. How much of it's UK made or whatever, I don't know, because I've never been. But, um, but yeah, it's constantly advertised on the TV. It's, like, um, really sort of popular location. But I know people from um, all over Britain visit this house of brewer. It's, like, really sort of popular stop-off on the, on the A9. Surprised you've not heard of it, Nick. No. I, ha- right. I have, but I haven't, uh, I haven't sort of investigated yeah. it. A lot of the British country style doesn't really do anything for me the sort of shooting stuff uh hard mm. to get into 
because that is obviously a very, very clear style and uh, leisure pursuit oriented mm. thing. Although, no doubt, a lot of it is very high quality. And there is a lot of tweed involved, yeah. so I can't yeah. quite pass it. There was, I was, there's some great... I've got, I guess, probably because of the farming background, more than the fact that I actually murder anything with a gun. Um, things like Holland and Holland, uh, Purdy, those brands which are predominantly that country set up mm-hmm. shooting and fishing. Things. And very often, you know, they're, they're labelled as those as brands but i can see where they've been made particularly the knitwear and stuff you kind of go oh that's a jamesons oh that's a harley oh that's a mm-hmm. you know the same with the tweeds you kind of go oh that's been made by mm-hmm. for them and they're very good and like i said they're, they're, they're you know it's great outdoors british outdoors wear but it is the bit where it almost becomes costume and um you look a bit weird and, and it's, that, it's generally you know. kept sort of new and shiny and you know, what's yeah, the end, which is odd. Which I always think that's where it starts to look a bit costumey, doesn't it? Yeah. So when it's like you've got country wear not being worn in the country and not used sort of appropriately, you know, and like it's the, it's the shiny um, Hunter and Lashamo wellies you see in central yeah. London. You know, like, well, why why are you wearing wellies to start with? You live in Labrock Grove. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're, they're shiny. They look like they're new. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's quite odd, isn't it? It's like that. I think, like things like tweeding, that looks so much better the more you wear it, and it sort of adapts to your body shape, and it, it looks better, kind of worn in, you know, like barber, it's the same, you know. Yeah. But when it looks all sort of like it looks like your mum's dressed, you sort of thing when it's all like quite new and <laughs> shiny. Yeah. Yeah. It's odd you should mention the the costumey part of this because that's kind of where I come into it. Uh, and the, the the fishing, the fly fishing bit is something I've been really kind of interested in of late. Uh, I bought this uh, Snow Peak waistcoat mm. from Japan, which they had made in collaboration with I don't know what they do, but they're called Toned Trout. Right. And this just this name is so evocative. Toned yeah. Trout. I mean, can you imagine these muscular <laughs> little trout? They're all toned. <laughs> And, and I'm just thinking, wow, I could do with some salmon fly fishing yeah. f- flies to put on various bits. I mean, as a t- young teenager, I was tying flies because I imagined I'd be a f- fly fisher. Bought a couple of rods and stuff, and I found out that the actual fishing part of it wasn't that mm-hmm. much fun. But I did hugely enjoy making mm-hmm. the flies for a while. Um, but I don't know, uh, dressing up, cosplaying a fly fisherman uh, in small town Norway Whew. and if you said you got it from Japan they, they seem really keen on dressing as English country gents and fly fishermen and cowboys and all sorts there's there's lots of subcultural dressy up things it's easier there because you can buy the magazine which tells you how to do it there's that there's that yeah there's also a million magazines out there telling you about it it's, they've got a pop culture for everything it's amazing Gosh. Orvis, that's another one does that sort of thing. Orvis, yeah. Orvis. Speaking of Japan, I was wanting to branch into the second-hand buying scene. And I know you, John, have been on something of a um, a rite of exploration of late um, in places where, I mean, we've never thought to go looking before. Yeah, oddly... Mm- in Europe, 
you know, the places that clothes end up for ragging factories are either Italy or what uh, or, or certain bits of what was Russia. And you kind of go, if you know where you're buying from, I, I know my um, the company my wife was working for, they've got a lot of supplies from Italian ragging factories. And you can get a lot of very good high street and designer things from ragging factories that are picked the same as they would be in the UK or used to be in the UK. Mm. And pull your designer items off and you. And there's a whole industry involved in it. It turns out that a lot of the ragging and factories for that for Japan and the Far East are in Malaysia. Right. So you'll be surprised how many exceptionally expensive, very high-end items that had travelled from all over the world to Japan and then had come to the end of their life in Japan end up in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. And particularly Indonesia mm -hmm. and parts of Jakarta and... Oddly, I've picked up some really expensive, very nice bits, particularly Filson and some of the American brands, some of the older American brands, some of the boots brands from America. So things like um, White's boots and Viberg boots have been bought by collectors in Japan and they've obviously got fed up with them. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, they've ended up heading over to Malaysia. And I've picked up, you know, late 70s, early 80s Filson Mackinac jackets for 100-ish pounds a pop. Whereas if you're trying to buy the same thing in the UK on eBay for a second-hand one, you're probably talking three, four hundred pounds a pop. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're looking for a new one, it's six hundred and fifty quid now. So yeah, it's as an economy of scale, it's great. And I've picked up some really good quality bits and pieces. I did slightly think I like buying. One of the reasons I like buying vintage and old stuff is you know the lack of environmental impact and reusing. Mm -hmm. And I was slightly concerned that I had pretty much turned into sort of um, the Jeff Bezos of buying second-hand stuff mm -hmm. and getting things flown from Malaysia to the Middle East to Germany mm -hmm. to Luton to me and Neil Gatwick probably wasn't the most <laughs> eco-friendly way of doing it. But, you know, yeah. stuff's flying that way anyway. But yeah, it was mad. Malaysia it has a huge number of very high-end items from very high-end designers. So, so how are you accessing that then? What are you... I don't really have to give it away, but... Ah, uh, I was going to say trade secrets, but it's things like um, websites like Grailed and Debop and right. all those second-hand websites. You find out where the sellers are, and the sellers of a lot of the quite quality stuff, mm. particularly the, the high-end vintage at a low price, or the Americana, American brand stuff, are either in Japan, because there's a big collector's market there, or second-hand, they're then going into Malaysia, where they've ended up being saved before they went to ragging factories. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of 70s and 80s top quality American stuff sat around in Malaysia. Nobody wants it in Malaysia because it's roasting hot and it's all stuff that's designed to go up the Mounties in and, mm -hmm. you know, massive boots and big thick wool shirts probably aren't particularly popular there. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting place. Mm -hmm. wow. So I, I, was, I was, much like Nick, I was actually looking at buying boots in Japan and it just kept coming up that all these people were based in places Malaysia. that weren't Japan and I was kind of worked out it was, it was odd to understand well you're selling all these things that are brands from Japan or America that have been retailed in Japan how come they're ending up there and it turns out a lot of the ragging factories and um, recycling factories for Japan and that part of the world are in Malaysia hmm. 
it's very strange to consider really i mean i can understand how lots of stuff ends up in japan because they have been very keen collectors for years and years but the fact that they're getting rid of sellable stuff to malaysia is i mean what, what is going on there that was a bit i couldn't quite work out but it worked out very well for me i've got a couple of lovely bits and pieces that i you know would have spent a lot more money on and you know i quite like the hunt we all quite like the hunt for the bargain to be fair, that is what drives a lot of what mm. we do, yeah. <laughs> Going into some th- somewhere and finding something at full retail, it's not really, yeah. isn't really no. that cool. Uh, I discovered the same thing because a lot of the Japanese shops now have become very savvy and uh, helpful. So I can actually order something direct from a shop in Tokyo to Norway. Uh, a recently released full price garment, um, and they have a wide range of sizes and it's just like shopping anywhere else. And I discovered that, hang on, this isn't any fun any longer because there's no hunt. It was just like buying from anywhere. But also it's much more efficient and cheap. I, I can order things from Japan and Malaysia and get them delivered quicker than if I buy something in Europe now. You know, I can get things from Japan in three, four days to my door. Wow. Which is, you know, if I ordered something from Germany, I'm going to take two weeks. Yeah. Pretty much. If I order something in this country at the moment with the postal strikes, it's going to be a month. But yeah, Japan, I can still get, mm. you know, good old DHL or um, UPS from um, Japan two or three days. Very quick. Wow, that's good. That is incredible. It just, um, it's a long time since I've ordered anything from, uh, you know, if it's, if it's abroad, I'll tend to just like avoid ordering. But that maybe make me think about having a look a bit further then, you know, so I always just tend to stick to eBay. It's kind of safe and I, on the whole that I know it, but, I, I, you know, um, I think I'll start looking a bit further afield come the new year, I think, if I'm looking for something. Although I keep saying, right, that's it, that's it. You're not, not buying it. So it's easiest thing to say. <laughs> and then you're lured back into the game. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was looking at uh, at Depop and Vinted a bit uh, a couple of months back, and I was surprised. I think it was on Vinted how much scamming mm. was going on, and and cl- very very obvious. I'd fell fell foul to a scam on Vinted. It was and Vinted were the least helpful customer service I've ever dealt with. They were absolutely appalling. So I ended up cancelling it from um, my bank because mm. that was the only way to do it. But yeah. It was actually something you pointed out as well, Nick. So uh, I do blame you totally for my. Yeah, that's okay. I've got. So what way then? Can you give an, give us but, an example of what what the scam would be then? What, what... They just have a lot of fake listings on there, um, and for stuff that you know, rarer stuff that's quite expensive. So this was a ten C jacket for a couple of hundred pound instead of, you know, probably three times that on eBay. And I went, oh, that's actually in my size as well. That that doesn't come up very often. I'll take a punt on that and see what happens. Um, got some tracking, got a tracking number. I thought that's good. That's that's all worked out quite well. Unfortunately, the tracking number was from well, the seller was allegedly in Birmingham, and the tracking came from a UPS site in um, Brussels. No, sorry, Berlin. So I went. Actually, this seems to be wrong. Can you tell me what's going on? And apparently, it's to do with label washing. So scammers have got a little bit more sophisticated recently, and. Um, We'll give you a dispatch number from another parcel somewhere else in the world, because mm-hmm. um, then it doesn't register on a lot of the fraud bits and pieces you get, and things like eBay money back scheme and stuff. So they will give you a tracking number, but 
tracking for a parcel that either doesn't exist mm -hmm. or isn't your tracking number. And then it becomes much harder for them to, um, you to, one, know it's a scam, and two, get your money back. Mm -hmm. And three, sometimes they can also then claim themselves it's not been delivered because they've put a tracking number in and they get their money back as well. Yeah. So you get scammed and the postal companies get scammed. All the companies they're um, mm -hmm. buying on. So yeah, there's a, there is... Um, and Vinted seemed absolutely ripe with it. And I went on and I saw, you know, eventually saw the same item listed three times by different sellers. And yeah. you kind of go, oh, well, that's definitely... So, yeah, I was... Um, yeah, it was it was an interesting one because I think I'm, I'm relatively savvy with internet buying after doing mm -hmm. it for decades. But, yeah, if a bargain looks too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, the, the clues were kind of there because, A, it was an item that was far too cheap. Yeah for what it was and I noticed they were having problems working out what the sizing would map to so a size 44 Italian is not an XXL yes. British and uh, some of the translation was clearly from Google Translate but not obviously so so it was a bit like they were doing it uh, in the low hanging fruit way where you want to scam someone but you don't want to scam on who, someone who's too savvy because that will be trouble but you want someone who is easily mm. fooled because then you can string them along a while and I guess the thing is to string it along until you've got the money out of the system mm. so it can't be paid back. Yeah. Fortunately, I was I worked out fairly quickly once I got a tracking number from somewhere completely different and they stopped answering the messages. Then I contacted, like I said, the customer services of Vinted who were just awful all the way along and said... Or didn't, I didn't reply for the first week. And then replied saying, we're not going to give you your funds back because you blocked it from your bank. And I was like, well, yeah, because I blocked it from my bank because you weren't doing anything mm. or replying to me. Yeah, It's strange, though, because people are selling so much more secondhand stuff now. I mean, apparently this is a market that has exploded after the pandemic and whatnot. And there's a lot more going on. But the online places for selling, I mean, they need to stay on top of stuff like scamming because... Once you get a reputation as a haven for scamming people, I mean, people are going to be a lot less inclined Absolutely. to buy stuff. Oh, too right. Quite oddly, though, eBay have got eBay's customer services. Are, you know, they make mistakes, but they're very quick to rectify them. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, they're getting a lot. You know, with the postal strikes and things. God bless the postman. I don't think they've got a pretty rough deal, so I can't really blame them. But um, eBay are getting lots of claims. I know I've put in claims for lots of things that haven't been delivered, and they're very good at you know, putting things on hold or, you know, if things generally haven't been delivered, getting the money back and, you know, and sometimes they'll make an incorrect decision. So they did on mine the other week and I rang them back and within two minutes of me saying, you've done it the wrong way around, you've refunded the buyer instead of me. Mm. They went, oh, sorry, it was our error and reversed the decision within seconds. So once you get hold of somebody there to do it, it's very good. Maybe relying on the algorithms might be a little bit... um. I complained a lot about customer service and getting things right, and these guys got it wrong. You know, their algorithms got it wrong, but talking to somebody yeah. rectified it in seconds. So It does help when you can actually speak to someone. Very much. I've been having problems with a couple of customer services uh, in the most recent months, and it's just immensely annoying when you've... It's, there's clearly a human being at the other end, but they reply as if mm. they're just a machine. <laughs> And they do not read what you write, and it just infuriates. It's, 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 it's what you said there when they, when they've clearly not read what you've sent, and you know you try and give as detailed a description as you can, and then you just get this generic, you know, oh, I'm sorry to hear about your problems. No, you're not. You know, it's just like 
that just like to start with that just riles you when you say right I'm, I'm terribly sorry to hear about your your problems today it's just like you can imagine them sitting at their desk going oh this is just terrible you know and it's just you just know that that's not the case you know it's like but, um dear me but i've always been fairly lucky there's been things that haven't arrived or one at the moment actually it's been like three weeks but the guy's like oh no it might still arrive but i'm like no it's not gonna arrive and um occasionally used to get where if somebody had had something on auction and then you won it for a ridiculously low price they would just then ignore you and not send it you know that used to happen quite a bit i don't tend to buy as much on auction now as i tend to stick to fixed prices but um used to get occasion where that you've won something and like you're really excited because you're like oh my god i've got that for like four quid or whatever and then you just don't hear from them again you just have to go through the refund process they just don't answer you you know they're, they're ruining their own reputation but they're just clearly so stubborn that they're like you're not getting it for that price you know because you'll see it relisted again like a few weeks later or whatever i had that i used to get that quite a lot actually yeah absolutely did you then bid on it again just to do the whole process again just to really annoy yeah. you? Did you keep buying yeah, it? Just keep, keep going, doing, yeah. Keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> just try and get lower every time. You know? But uh, yeah. it's just one of the... It's, it's annoying when you do... I tend to want to list stuff now. Just do it like... And it's nothing like really high end, but I'll tend to just do it at a sort of fixed price and then send me an offer and then just... You, you start sending more and more ridiculous offers to, to just get rid of it sort of thing. Uh, so I had just like loads of shoes there where I had to try and, if I haven't, haven't even finished yet, but try and get rid of to then replace them with shoes that actually fit me. And, um, you know, you, somebody's like, say, watching something and you've got it listed at 120 quid. Then you send them an offer for 80 and they just ignore it. And you're like, well, were you that interested really? Or are you just like, did you have to go and ask somebody if they could spend the money? You know, is that like what it is? Or will I wait until it's payday? And, and yeah, you know, there's lots of like reasons for people watching stuff. But it, as a seller, you just always expect them like to just jump at your crazy offer. I think they're just saying, uh, I'll watch this. Cool shoes, bro. Uh, they're yeah. just liking it. Just show yeah. you some respect. Uh, possibly. Possibly. I thought about sort of trying to promote it through Instagram. But I don't know. Seems a bit, bit tacky, doesn't it? It's like, like you could. I suppose you could direct. Yeah, you you don't you don't have the killer instinct. I mean, you have to you have to work yeah. for your sales, Sean. No, those days are gone. Maybe when I was in my twenties, there was a, a little bit more killer instinct in sales, but not not so much now. <laughs> no, I've been doing the same. I've been getting rid of lots of stuff on eBay, and I'm I have this exactly the same thought process as you. I've got something listed on for two hundred pound. Which is a reasonable price for yeah. it. And so I've had people watching it for like three weeks because it's been on there for the whole month. And they go, I'll send them an offer of 125 because mm. that's literally the lowest level for. Mm. And they're like, they either don't respond or they only send you an offer for like 25 quid. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'm selling it for 200. It's probably worth four or 500, yeah. but I want to get rid of it. I've offered it to yeah. for the, the, like ridiculous. And you're like, no, not in. I, do you not want it then? Is that? Yeah. And it is. Are they liking it because they like, they're watching it because they like it? Or and you get irritated, cool you know, when they send it like a ridiculous offer. I've always got to tell somebody, you know, I've like, okay, you seen this? Yeah. You know, it's like, this is ridiculous. It's like, you know, who do they think they are? And then like three weeks later, you go, nah, maybe I would have taken that actually. <laughs> no. But, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm glad that's just not me. I, I ran to the wife. She's like, but you're always giving people really low offers on eBay. That's because I'm buying them. That's yeah, fine yeah. if I'm buying. It's if I'm different. selling, it's what I'm asking for, <laughs> honestly. Uh, it's, uh, I think you can set limits, though, can't you? To like, you can sort of set a limit of what you would accept an offer, and then it just dingies them, yeah. them all off, kind of thing. But, um, but it's quite interesting to sometimes then go into it and see how low the offers have been for things. And you're kind of like, oh, can you check? I didn't know you could check. Yeah, oh, right. like, I, I can't. What we're selling on? The, I, I've just sold my extra RAF Parker actually, yeah. two, and it was on for on for five hundred quid, which is about is about as cheap as you can get one possibly. And I, I looked on it, and they're like, oh, we've got offers. And so I had a look at the offers, and their offers are like twenty five quid and seventy five quid. Mm. And, well, I've listed it. 500 mm-hmm. and all the others on eBay are between 1200 and two and a half thousand mm-hmm. for the same jacket. What makes you think I'm gonna offer 25 quid? Is I'm mean, just gonna click on it and it's gonna be an, an error? Yeah, did you think I'm an, I, I think why do you even bother? You might have had a look at it whilst incredibly drunk and then just accepted it by mistake. Yeah. It, maybe, maybe that works sometimes. I don't know. There was a pair of boots I sold last yeah. weekend actually that I had. Um, open for offers, and then at like twenty past twelve last Friday night, I just somebody just bought them. Buy it now, you know. And I, I would have taken like two thirds of the price, you know. But there was just like I buy it now at twenty past twelve on a Friday, and you just guarantee they'll have woken up on Saturday. And go, what the hell did I buy? You know, um, <laughs> at what price? Or maybe it was a true connoisseur who realised that those boots were in fact worth more than you were asking. Very possibly, Nick. Very possibly. Um, I wasn't caring away and you know that doesn't matter. But... And do you do you, uh, Sean, do you get much in the way of returns and how do you deal with that? I, like, I, get, a, I get very few. No. And I usually just reject them because like I'll try and make my descriptions as clear as possible and then say no returns. So the only way and, and eBay will tend to back you up on it as well, actually, I noticed because I had one just a few weeks ago where the person received them and their reason for wanting a return was they didn't want them or they didn't like them. Um, and I just, eBay backed me up. I just rejected it. I said, no, you know, unless it was a specific fault um, that I hadn't described or whatever, then I'm not, I'm not taking a return. Yeah. Um, and they, they accepted that and, and um, you know, eBay just must've contacted because I never heard anything else, but no, it doesn't happen often. What about you? I don't have I don't have a great deal, but when I do, it's frustrating. It's other people who know how to play the system and will say it's not as described. Mm. And if they say it's not as described, the default is for eBay to yeah give them a refund. And yeah. can't I've, I had it with a Gansey sweater where I sent it pictures with measurements on, said it was a medium to large. It's a forty four chest. I'm a forty four forty six chest. Picture of me in it. I'm wearing mm-hmm. it. The lady sent it back going, her husband's always been a medium and you sold it as a large and it doesn't fit him. Hmm. I'm like, well, so it mustn't be a medium large, it must be a small, yeah. of course. He's always a medium and medium always fits yeah. him. I'm like, well, medium varies in company yeah, to company. Considerably. And I've, yeah. I've, and I've put pictures up of the measurements, hmm. but eBay, because it wasn't as described, went against me. And recently I had a guy buy a, a shirt off me that he obviously didn't like, and he listed immediately. He, I, it was an SHA Kelly, Kelly shirt, nice shirt. It was a bit small for me. Uh, I sold it at a knockdown price. He's then relisted it about a week later at three times what he paid me mm-hmm. for it. 
obviously hadn't sold, and now he's contacting me going, it's the wrong size, mm. can I have a refund? Of course. <laughs> I'm like, well, no, no, that's not, this is really not how eBay works. No. So, no. You'll always get chances. It's now listed you, again. Yeah. And it's now listed again, so, you know, good luck to him for selling mm. it, and it's a great shirt, but you just kind of sit there and kind of go, mm. you bought it to make a quick buck, it's not as quick as you thought it was going to be. I'm not going to take it back because of that. But he was claiming it was the wrong size. And again, it was like, well, all my descriptions have mm-hmm. measurements in the photos now. So people can't yeah. do that because it was getting to the stage where people kind of, they, they worked out that if they didn't like something, they can go, it's not as described, the size is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it is because eight has the chest measurements on it. So, you know, mm-hmm. no. But yeah, there's, there's, there's a few chances and a few, you know, ludicrously crazy mm-hmm. ones that I've had, but nothing... Yeah, absolutely. And it was the ultimate because the app used to automatically default to accept returns, and that was quite frustrating. So that that seems to not so be I'll... the case now, doesn't it? That seems to... no. From what I but that was really frustrating because I got something sent back that this guy had bought for top money, and I thought he got a real bargain mm. for it, and I was very happy with the money I got for it. And he went, "It's half an inch too short. I'm going to send it back." I'm like, "You can't do that. Oh, you can because I've got set to automatic returns." Half an inch, dear me. Ah. Now, Sean, you mentioned that you'd been uh, selling a lot of shoes and mm. buying a lot of shoes recently. Now, I have noticed on your Instagram you do like to show your, well, uh, I say this with a lot of kindness, your ropey new mm. purchases <laughs> and how mm. you transform them. It's a miracle, isn't it? It's the, the miracle of, of it is polish. <laughs> Listen, it it's not like... I'm not going to the extent of restitching things or or resoling things myself or whatever, you know. And I don't always hang on to the things that I generally find if I don't get if something's needing resold or if it's like leather sold and I don't do it straight away, it'll go to the back of the cupboard and then it'll end up getting sold again. Um, but yeah, I mean, like really. People are, are, are selling things that have come out of the back of a cupboard and done nothing to try and, you know, titivate it or anything or to, to, to make anything. So in that respect, you can get a bargain. If you kind of, you know, we all know that the, the sort of shoe brands that are decent quality, you tend to know what the fit's going to be like, what the weight's going to be like, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. Um, so you can, you know, different colours like black doesn't attract as much money as say brown or tan or whatever so yeah so really a lot of the time what all i'm doing is like putting the shoe trees in them the wooden uh the wooden shoe trees that you you gave me kindly and and giving them a sort of a three stage so i tend to like strip off any old polish or whatever um with some some acetone and a cloth and then immediately sort of apply moisturizer to the leather Sometimes it doesn't need it, but generally on the whole, it'll make the, the leather a bit nicer and a bit softer. And then uh, it's sort of a bit, a bit of polish in, in the colour that, that's requisite. And, you know, you have, immediately you've got a sort of wearable pair of shoes for um, for a decent price, you know. Um, but, like, sometimes if I, if I find I'm not wearing them, then I'll, I'll tend to then think, right, I'll, I'll shift them on you know, I'll shift them on again kind of thing. But um but yeah, yeah, it's it's just something fun to do. I quite enjoy doing it, you know. I enjoy that sort of like uh before or after. And it, it always seems to be popular on uh 
Instagram as well, you know, on the whole. Well, was like, well I've seen you, do, they look amazing, considering it is fundamentally you are cleaning them up and, and re, you know, you're not doing a massive job, if that makes sense. You're not, yeah. You're not resoling them, you're not restitching them, you're not going no, to any crazy cobbling thing. You're literally cleaning up some shoes yeah. and sorting out because they haven't been looked after for a long time. That's it. I think, yeah, people will buy shoes and then if they start to get a little bit worn, they'll go to the back of the wardrobe and then, you know, you can tell that they've maybe been there a while because they've been sort of squashed or whatever. And, and um, I'm not going to complain because I've maybe picked them up for 30, 40 pounds, you know. Um, and I have sort of like, I set myself sort of, price limits I've been caught out a few times as I know you have in the past with those thick rubber soles that you know the big commando soles but when you get them they're like far too heavy far too stiff you know that rubber's kind of hardened now I know you you were inquiring Nick, with, with the process of actually the, the hairdryer um sort of softening up the leather a bit but when I took them out again the other day it was back to they were back to the way they had been so it's clearly not a long term thing so i'm going to try something else which was like the there's a sort of hot water technique that you just boiling water in a in a, uh, in, in a basin and just dip them in up up to the and that can soften it apparently that's quite effective as well or you can put them in the oven which i'm a bit dubious about i'd be less dubious about the oven than putting them in water but i think the hairdryer probably is the most controlled version of it really it was certainly it certainly worked as in, you know, I Googled it just to see what solutions there were, and that was the one that came up as the most popular. And it, it certainly worked straight away, yeah. like on that type. You, you, it's difficult to describe, but, you know, the rubber sort of hardens and, and um, becomes quite worn, I think. Not worn, but it, it it's through lack of use or age. I think just mere age and, and, and rubber can really, um, the, the compound that they must use on these soles must just harden over time because other shoes that I bought with rubber soles, and I'll give you Paraboot as an example, it doesn't matter how old and worn they are, this, 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 this leather, the, the rubber sole is still very supple and soft. It never seems to, to harden. Paraboots, that's 100%, that's proper rubber, isn't yeah, it? They I've, actually use rubber, they don't use yeah. composite or anything. So that's. Um, and, and we've had, you know, the, the Paraboot boots that I bought just last week. Now, my back path right out to the car is like a skating rink but despite there not being a lot of tread on the bottom of these rubber soles you can feel them sticking to the the ground a lot better than say the dr martin's wear or the commandos just it must just be the compound being soft enough that it actually you know when you're walking on it i feel a lot safer and it's less likely to slide um than something that you know it might look really grippy like actually how much grip do you actually need do you know on on the basis of a soul apart from like maybe aesthetically but yeah so i think the ones that i've had i think i will just bite the bullet and get them resold because they were nice um alfred Sargent sort of brogue type boots um i think i will just just pay the 50 quid or whatever and get them get them resold which then doubles the price i've paid but still i'm getting a handmade pair of leather english made boots for 100 quid so you, you know when you look at it that way you're going to get another 10 years out of them so sort i of think so yeah it's strange that paraboot natural rubber should stay soft because i've had experiences with uh, natural rubber mm. crepe soles 
which have been a few years old, which have uh, either they go really mm-hmm. hard, and they also get incredibly mm-hmm. sticky, which makes for a very interesting experience walking around. Um, I picked out some old shoes and not worn for a while this summer, and uh, having walked through town, I went into the local shopping centre and their <laughs> tiled floor. At which point, I had all this gravel stuck yeah. under my shoes, and it was like skating. But I find a lot of that flooring that they use in train station shopping centres now is 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 dangerous because it's all it takes is a little bit of water or something on the floor. You know, it's it's not the safest of walking surfaces for somebody. All right, myself, but you know that maybe has mobility problems that or anybody that is as soon as you uh, encounter uh, say dropped food you know if you quite often glasgow central station which is a huge concourse with a shiny floor if somebody's been walking along eating a sandwich and there's a bit of lettuce or a tomato dropped out you could be on your arse in seconds you know um <laughs> or a leaky roof and it, it's it's like but that's that's on to like that's an engineering issue isn't mm. it it's not necessarily a it's it's odd you should mention um, 100 quid being a good price for a pair of British-made shoes. Because I have been noticing recently that prices of British-made shoes have been going yes. rapidly upwards. Do you mean brand new or really? Brand new ones. See, I don't, I don't, it's not something I tend to look at that often. But So can you give an example of... I know that church have become incredibly more right. expensive because after well recently but since prada bought them and they're now moving it up market so i heard someone say the price was doubled but i don't know right. if that could be right it's probably close to it the same the same with trickers they've both have almost doubled their prices over the last couple of years because wow. i used to think that around 300 350 mm-hmm. was sort of decent range for northamptonshire shoes now five wow. six hundred. They tend to have like different ranges as well. Then don't they? So those, I know Grenson did it. Like they had the triple welt, and then they had this sort of the stuff that was sort of made in the UK but not. And I think Loke, Loke did that India. for a long yeah. time. The ones with the red yeah. red soles, red inner soles. I wonder if they're they're trying to appeal to sort of different markets. Then it's it's maybe just chancing it. If if they think they can get away with charging those prices, then. You know, so obviously, if we're in a recession and, and everybody's sort of biting, but the, the market for high end stuff will tend to shrink slightly um, in, in, in tougher times, you know. And yeah, there, there's like the squeezed middle, but you know, tends, you'll tend to find it at the higher end of the market that, that things will, will, will um, become more difficult as well. So they might, they might have extra markets now, whether it's the Middle East, Japan, Russia that they think, well, we can get away with charging X amount. <laughs> well, I'm just looking on the Trickers website. So my Broughton by Brogues, I bought, what, I've had them 10, 15 years. So quite a long time, but I think they're around the £200 mark when I bought them from Trickers. The same shoes are £525. So over 10 years, they've just over doubled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Clearly they have some sort of plan, but I can't see what it is. Gosh, and that's a that's a big price. Yeah. That's a hard sell. It's not. I mean, most people don't sort of go out buying five hundred quid shoes unless they really want mm. that pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. What's that? I mean, like high street. Obviously, there's less high street shoe shops, but it's more sort of specialist now, isn't it? So you've got like shoe, which is a kind of young 
sort of trendier they do Doc Martens, but they, you know, they've got their own shoes. They do their own brand, which is really, really cheap. And it'd be interesting just to see what they're like. I mean, you could buy, um, yep. like regular, but sort of, um, Chelsea boots, but with a kind of DM type sole, you know, like a chunky style boot. And they're like 40 pounds and leather uppers. And you kind of wonder how are they able to like, to, to do stuff at that price? Um, and then like sort of, you you kind of think that that is you you wonder how how they can actually put yeah. the shoes in the shop for that price, but then you start thinking, I mean, what are yeah. they going to be like? And I mean, but that, that's the thing; they're fashion. They're almost a fast fashion thing. I know, you know. Yeah, I think so. Or or last any length of time. I mean, I'm going to wear these Chelsea boots for a season, and then they're going to be done and been and gone. Whereas you know, I yeah, bought a pair of Tricker so. Brogues. I think so, and it'll be you know, something probably more than 15 years ago now, and I still wear them. Mm. You know, they might almost be like Trigger's broom. They've had new heels, they've had new soles, they've mm. had new laces, they've had new tongue. But you know, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they're selling it as, a, as something that'll last, and, and and they genuinely do last, don't they? I mean, the you know, the, the longer you have them, the more comfortable they get as well, and they get more. Yeah, um, but you do see you do see the state of sometimes like shoes that are advertised secondhand, and you just think, what the hell have you been doing in them? You know, they're like the the level of wear and tear. And the ones I bought, um, the Grenson ones, at Brogues that I bought recently, had clearly somebody had just been ramming their foot in, and the backs had, 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 had almost gone. Um, but the shoe repair place in, in Giffnick, he says, "Yeah, it's a quick, quick fix for me. You can, you can sort it with just a bit of leather on the inside, which I'll, I'll hand them in over Christmas." Um, but yeah, I mean, it's clearly like somebody's just been like ramming their foot in as hard as they can into the back of the shoe without unlacing them or anything, you know, just to get the get their shoes back on. Yeah, I've got a couple of things where they've they've had leather soled shoes and they've gone through both the leather sole and the insole underneath that. And you're kind of like, we've gone, you've gone through both sets of. Did you not want to get something put on that to fix it, or, or at some point did you not think my shoe's leaking? Yeah. Yeah, and this like an actual hold. Yeah. 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 At what point? It must have thought like my socks are getting a bit wet, you know, so I'll just I'll just sell them, you know, I'll just get rid of them if they can if they can if they can buy, you know. So what what is the idea behind leather souls? It was just a it's it's a I think it's a tradition thing. Um it looks quite good. And I think in an office environment, they tend to make a bit of noise on hard flooring. Yeah, all to, my, I, I, I've, it's, it's one of my shoes have never sold and I've had commando um, plates put on or any slips plates of, put on. The only ones I haven't are Miles and Sargent's because they've got such a thin leather sole doing anything to it makes them look really weird. They're designed in a way to just have the very formal court shoes. So, you know, they weren't used for anything other than trip driving around weddings and funerals. Yeah. and stuff so that that's not too yeah. bad but even those circumstances i nearly broke my neck on saturday night because i went to a christmas uh-huh. do in them and it's like they are the slippery you know, we've got ice out yeah. here it's terrifying knocking around at the sole shoes and they'll wear out in six months yeah we used to we used to put segs in the bottom on the heel well, and toe you know, like do you know what segs are nick you've heard of segs like little metal, little Sense. metal sort of bits that you would put on the the end of the heel, on the toe, and you could 
make a racket on the on the floor with them, you know. I do. I, I walk around the hospitals looking very important, pretending I'm Sir Lancelot Spratt with mine because I've got them on my brogues. So I I clear down that I sound very important before I go into important meetings. Scary shoes. Yeah, uh, they make a heck of a noise. I mean, the, people could really hear you hear you coming with them on a bit. Um, yeah, that was all the, the sort of fashion for a while, sort of uh, sort of mod sort of type thing, you know. <laughs> But I was, gonna, I was going to ask you about how do you deal with the leather? Because I leather jackets, I've bought a few leather jackets. Yes, yeah, so that's trying to recondition yeah. them. I found pectard or pecards antique leather dressing is is like a wonder product that fixes leather of all descriptions. And I've tried it on shoes, and it's just not quite as. I guess because the, mm-hmm. the tanning process is quite different because it's solid. It just doesn't bring them back to life the same way jackets do. And I've tried to get shoes right. back from the brink a couple of times and they're just not having any of it i think like shoes of that sort of quality um, the leather generally will be in fairly decent condition but the, the two things yes. that i'll either notice that they'll either have been polished and, and, and polish applied layer after layer after layer which builds up makes the, the color a bit odd um a bit uneven or they'll have been ignored and the leather will be sort of dried out and um, a bit crumbly and, and, and stuff now. Or sort of deep gouges in the leather where, you know, there's been, they've come against something. But again, with the, with the, um, with the polish, that's where the acetone comes in. So that kind of removes uh, like a layer or, or layer after layer of polish. As long as you do it like fairly quick, because it is strong stuff, you can feel it burning on your hand but if you if you do it like fairly quick um you can you can see the polish coming off and generally one go is is enough um a lot of people what they do is they, they pour acetone inside yeah. the shoe to, to clean out the inside that almost Jesus. like fill it with acetone and just because it dries out quite quickly wow. and naturally dries out and then empty it out um and apparently people that if you're trying to stretch your shoes that's another good way of doing it where it softens the leather up so much. Then, if you ram in a, a bigger shoe tree or whatever, it'll it'll expand them that little bit further. But yeah, so I've never done that. But like sort of acetone, and I'll, I quite often I'll clean the soles with acetone as well. So just take off any sort of level of dirt or marks, um, and round the stitching. It's something you brought up um, the other week, Nick, that you you're finding too much polish on the stitch. Yeah. So and then there's a product from. Safir, S-A-P-H-I-R. Um, it's about £12. It's just basically moisturiser, like leather moisturiser. I used to get it stuff from a, um, a thrift shop in Glasgow that sold um, leather moisturiser um, that was a kind of an old brand. I forget who it is now. And it was really cheap. You could get a massive tub for about five quid. And it was just the same stuff. It was like leather. That shop closed. But it's like, you're just kind of like, you, you can put a few layers of that on and you can actually feel the leather getting softer and, and, and nicer. And then either just using um, sort of colorant of, 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 you know, just to give it an even tone, um, which then you can just polish straight away. Um, and then I would maybe use like a, a harder polish or, or neutral polish on the toes or, you know, round the, the, the back um, just to give it a wee bit more of a, more of a shine. Um, 
and yeah, I, you can do it. Sort of the, the process takes me half an hour, forty minutes once the shoes arrive, you know, and they can be good as new in uh, in no time. But then I don't keep going back to it once they're done. I'm like, I'm not obsessive about polishing my shoes unless I'm. No, I I am. I'm, I'm an absolute pervert for cleaning shoes. There's a lot of shoe cleaning going on. Are you? But then you're you're sort of meeting the public, John, aren't you? You're kind of going out there and. and it's 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 maybe I think if I was in your position I would yeah prancing. What's that, Nick? John goes out prancing. Uh, you know, if there was prancing involved on a daily basis, then I, I probably would. When I used to wear black leather shoes to work, I was quite obsessive about polishing them, though. Yeah, because black it always looks <clears> that <throat> bit, just that little bit better if they're uh, if they're if they're shiny. And you notice Please. it, don't you? Like yeah. people do notice it wearing shiny shoes. Not patent shiny, but you know what I mean. Like, if you've made the effort. Yeah, I was like, just because I wear boots a lot, and I'm out, you know, it's the, the transition between yomping around fields with the dogs to going into town, to going into work, is kind of like, I can't, you know, scraping the mud off from one to cleaning them to getting to another to going, it's kind mm-hmm. of like, do I just change my boots? Do I clean them? Mm-hmm. How do I keep them? Once they've been wet and muddy for a bit, you can't mm-hmm. leave them wet and muddy. You've got to clean it off or they get wrecked. So. Mm-hmm. I could, I could, but I'm not that yeah. kind of person. Can't you just keep a, a shiny pair of hunters in your car? I have got some swims. Uh, those those over those galosha things, those overshoes. So when I'm wearing just shoes, if I get caught short in the drive, do, do any of your own drive? Some um, gaiters in the car as well, just in case. I te- I tend to always keep a barber in the boot. Same. I've got, or we call it the dog bed. It's in the back seat of my car. The dog sleep on it. There's always a barber in the boot of the car along with a blanket because I always just feel as if it's necessary. You know why you keep a barber in the boot why? with a blanket? It's because you like saying that because it sounds so good when you say it with your voice and your oh, accent. Right, okay. Well, I never really thought of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do, 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 do it again. Barber in the boot with a blanket. And a blanket and there a barber in the boot of the car. <laughs> um, but no, I don't have any driving shoes. I've got some loafers, which I know you dislike intensely, but uh, they're both wrong. I'm deeply skeptical of guys that have driving shoes and driving <laughs> gloves. They are. They're those sort of like yeah, not right. They look like slippers you got in the seventies, you know that kind of. Um... But they do look really good with bootcut jeans, bringing us all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of bootcut, I I bought a pair of. Um, uh, Levi cords on eBay that were five, not five eleven, but the the old one they used to have. I think it wasn't five oh one. Was it maybe five seven? Like a straight leg tan white label, white label. It was like the white the white tag on it, and they're quite wide. They're quite flary. Um, they're quite old. But <laughs> do you know, like, I was wearing them with um, like brown New Balance trainers, that, and I thought, hey, this is quite cool. I quite like that. Um, the other day, and I had them on with like an old um, uh, Armani jumper that must be about, oh, I, I think I bought it about 94 or something. It's still in perfect nick. And I was just like dressed like some sort of football casual, you know, some sort of 80s football casual with my flary cords on. I'll need to take a picture and show you my flary cords, but they're definitely like wider than what you would class just a standard wide leg. They're, they're, they're not boot cut, but they are certainly wide. Did, did you start quoting the Sweeney? <laughs> no, he no, did drive his Ford Fiesta straight through a pile of boxes, though. <laughs> down a, down an alleyway. Mm-hmm. I know. I tend to like um, 
the professionals is on in the afternoon and then if I find myself like drawn to it quite often in the afternoon <laughs> when I just like sit down for an hour and watch it. Um and it's just it has I just it hasn't stood up well at all. I know at the time it was kinda like the real macho thing to watch, wasn't it? Ford Capris and all that and like roaring around, but it's just like storylines are pretty weak and it's just like but Cowley, he was another one. Yeah. He used to wear the Denison smock, didn't he? Or Denison um, yep. army over his suit. That was quite a good look for him. Oh, they, oh, the, and the Denisons have become ridiculously expensive again. Is it just a lack of them? Because like, surely there'd be a lot of them, I, no? There were, there were tons and tons around, but I think because they you know, weren't used up past the 80s, really, yeah. in military service. So then now that's you know nearly 40 years ago. They're becoming... A collector's item, and they seem to be really popular in fashion. There's a big collect, but they've they've, you know, tripled in value over the mm-hmm. last couple of years, which seems odd because they were, mm-hmm. you know, sort of thing. My dad wore fishing when I was a kid because they were cheap, and you can get the army surplus stuff for a fiver. I've, I've got an, an just like an one like a standard M65 jacket, which I really really like because it's warm, and I think it looks quite good. And it's like lots of pockets, and like because it's an older coat, you don't really need to worry about it. Um, but like certainly when I was growing up, there was like two type of parkas that were really quite popular, which, which was the German Army parka. Yeah. Um, which again, you don't really you don't really see them, but they were only like they were they were always about fifteen pounds. But then if 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 you had a bit more money, you would buy the U.S. Fishtail, which was the other one that was particularly popular in the eighties, um, and they were maybe about thirty pounds. Um, for like now they are what 300 maybe for depending on the era they tend to, to sort of I'm no expert in these matters but they, they, they tend to sort of from era um, I think is it an M is it an M51 or M, M61 or so you know it's like fishtail and then you can get the hood and you can get the liner yeah, yeah some, some have got the furry hoods some don't have the furry hoods and yeah, got, yeah. They, they tend to be fairly expensive now as well whereas again they were like 10 a penny when I was young so, I think they're probably all in Malaysia. Yeah, well, John knows where they are, but he's not saying. <laughs> I'm not saying if you want, if you want one, and it's odd because they were used by forces all over the place, so they they have yeah. got a fairly big spread. But yeah, they're really practical. I've you know, I've got one set on my hat stand behind us, but they're mm. super practical. But wouldn't be my go-to forever, to be honest. No, no. So so clearly, if we had bought a container load of them twenty years ago, we'd doing be... very well. Rolling in yeah. a bit of cash yep. now. Are there clothes we could buy today that might increase in value? Mm, good question. There must, there must be. I, I, my wife laughed at me hysterically the other day when I referred to the wardrobe in the bedroom as the archive and then said, no, no, it's a collection. She went, it's just your clothes. And you kind of go, right, they are clothes, and, but they are a collection and some of them are investments. So, you know, uh-huh. some of the Royal Navy bits and pieces and the military stuff mm-hmm. has gone up hugely in value in the time I've had them. Mm-hmm. Not through intention of them being, you know, the difference between an investment piece and an investment piece. An investment mm-hmm. piece meaning you can wear it forever. Or an investment piece means it's quadrupled in value in the last 10 years mm-hmm. because it's collectible. It's mm-hmm. it's odd. But I've got one or two things that I've, I've, you know, we've said about it, some of the Levi's and things, and my old Levi's are now worth quite a lot of cash. And some of the RAF Royal Navy smocks, things like that, are mm-hmm. Denison smocks of all yeah, been bought for me because I want to wear them, but they are now worth a load more money. Cause used to, I always remember with Levi's, 
there was the kind of what was called the big E was was seen as a sort of a holy grail of, of Levi's. But now they seem to have relaunched that so many times then. I don't know what's, yeah. what's original stuff. Or, or so the big, yeah, the, the original big E stopped in the 60s. So it was pre-60 yeah. something or other period. When the now Levi's vintage clothing have relaunched big E and it's been going for another 10, uh-huh. 15 years. But Levi's is weird. I, you know, modern Levi's I can't get because they make some really good quality bits with uh-huh. You know, Japanese denim and cone oak denim and made in America that are made very, very well. And then in the same store, they'll be selling stuff that was, mm-hmm. you know, made in the Middle East mm-hmm. that's tut, that was obviously made from the cheapest possible fabric. Yet they're the same price points, more or less. Mm-hmm. I, I, I find their marketing very odd. I've got, um, I think, two old pairs of 501 and at least one pair of, of, of five elevens and I think I've got a white pair of sort of the older the older range as well or sort of white and creamy sort of pair but yeah I, I tend to find that the older ones that they're quite a decent fit on me that the, the denims I know you guys are like serious denim heads but you know I just like my denim quite soft and comfortable I don't like all this stiff rigid nonsense but um <laughs> He's making faces when I say nonsense. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? I, I, I'm not like that into denim. That, um, like I like them to, to sort of be comfortable. So that's why I tend again to just get them second hand. But um, but yeah, I find them all right. The five of ones. I know a lot of people think the, the shape's really odd and like kind of weird. Um, but I've got another pair on order. Actually, there's a pair coming that were a grand total of seven pound fifty. Um, that will be here in the next few days, hopefully. Christmas then, but what what would you say? What have you got like a favourite pair of jeans that you go back to again and again? A favourite pair in my wardrobe, or a favourite pair I'd buy over and over. No, again. no, that you have because obviously, you know how the wear, the, the sort of wear and the more wear you give them, the the better they get, etc., etc. Do you wear a, one pair enough to get that amount of wear on them, or do you? No, oh, definitely, yeah. So my Iron Hearts, yeah, are my go-to, and I've I've you know in the last twenty years I've had two pairs. Right, and they are my go-to jeans, and one pair lasted me pretty much. They're pretty much the only jeans I've got. A few other pairs of jeans that I interchange here and there, mm-hmm. but they last forever. And once you've got past the breaking in stage, which is probably a year, really, they're super comfortable. But the first year, they're a challenge. Let's say, yeah. <laughs> Nick, yeah, that's a dedication. Um, I'm actually wearing a pair of Iron Hearts right now after visiting a very nice shop in Copenhagen that had the full range. So it was, it was possible mm. to try them all on. And then I found out that the 888 style had sufficient Ooh. bum coverage, or as they say in technical terms, mm. high rise. So that men of a certain age, when mm. you bend over, it's it's still you're sort of displaying your... Yeah. yeah. But you wimped out there, didn't you? You went, you went for, a, for a low weight denim, didn't you? I uh, was intending to buy a 21-ounce, which I have had previously, which is sort of, it is heavy, but it is kind of soft. It's uh, it's not a bad one, but I ended up with a 16-ounce slubby denim because it was just so full of character. Yeah, they are nice. I, I was quite impressed. So, Although I take the mickey out of them not being 25-ounce. Well, 25 ounces from yeah, me. Allegedly. And I, I <laughs> well, someone was telling me that they've got, they've got like 30 ounces or something now somewhere Jeez. they could get hold of, which seemed insane because 25 ounces is like wearing a suit of armour. Yeah. 
And do, within that twelve month yeah. period, then of like breaking them in, do you do you not wash them? No, no. And how do you get rid of the dirt? Do you just wipe it off? Or? Yeah, pretty much. Right. Okay. You just wear them inside, really, don't you? No, no, they don't. They go on dog walks. They need proper you, breaking in. They need to actually go out. So they, 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 they're very dirty around the knee. Stand area. around in them because mm-hmm. it splashes over my wellies, and <laughs> yeah. So yeah, first soak, and then don't really wash them for a year or so, and then wash them with regular jeans, like I would regularly. Yeah. No. Given that the times we're living in, the age we are, uh, the type of guys we are, do you feel that clothes are becoming more important, though? Do you get or less important? Depends what you mean by important. I mean, this you. You can either like sort of overanalyze it and look for the right thing and spend some time researching before you purchase because it's an expensive purchase, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Or do you spend more time thinking about what you're going to wear in the morning and what you're going to put on and how it's going to look? So you know, there's there's different ways of things being important, and I would say probably yes and yes, <laughs> yeah. Except today, obviously, because I didn't know it was going to happen. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think I, I, my clothes are still really important to me. I like them. I like I like the act of sourcing them, and I like knowing what I want as much as. And the way I look, I guess the way I look in them to other people is probably less important. Mm. Mm-hmm. As long as I'm feeling happy in them, is more important possibly. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think when I was younger, I probably wore something that was uncomfortable, didn't like to impress the ladies, or mm. you know to say, look, I've got this, it's really cool, but now I kind of go, mm, it's going to be something I really like <laughs> and I've got to want wearing it all the time mm-hmm. or there's no point. So in that respect, it's probably more important. I think how things my son, fit my son well. points out how Yeah, my son points out how uncool I am and how nothing I wear is fashionable or trendy or, or in, in any sort of good taste pretty much yeah. constantly. So. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Nick? Well, I think... I think at some point we, or at least I realised that people don't actually care what you wear. Most people aren't really no. paying attention. So you have to dress for yourself what you mm-hmm. find pleasurable and interesting. I mean, it can be pretty disappointing, really, if you've put together a really cute outfit with some great new stuff. I mean, you're feeling top of the world and you just you're just aching for someone to comment so you can tell them all about it. And they'll go through the day and not a sod says anything. Mm. And of course, you can't sort of slide into a little mm. conversation by saying, you probably noticed the jacket I'm wearing today. Allow me to tell you all about <laughs> it. <laughs> because that, that wouldn't be done. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean, yeah. Uh, it's like, how would you slip that into the conversation? Uh, yeah, I think, like when you're a lot younger, yeah, you do kind of like wear things to try and impress a bit, but now you're more just like trying to impress yourself sort of thing. So you'd just be like what you're, you know, you know, it's like a nice thing that's nicely made and that's like, that's enough for you. You know, that's, that's a good thing. So it makes you more confident when you're wearing it because, you know, especially if it fits right. That's just like, I think as you get older, you're more concerned about how things fit you. Therefore, how it does suit you. But again, that's more to do with, how you want it 
you know how you perceive it than than, than worrying about what other people um, perceive it. So like, but yeah, the like for me there was like things that I, I didn't used to sort of worry about it too much. I would just always buy something like even if it was the wrong size, I would just you know if I liked it and it was like available, I would just maybe buy it and it would be maybe generally too big. I used to just always buy things that were far too big, you know. Um, but now I'll tend to worry a bit more about how something fits kind of thing. Because then you feel a bit more confident if you got clothes on that fit well, don't you? Mm. I, always, I always get the thing a bit like Nick. It's like I'll, I'll put on what I think is amazing and my mm. wife will say I look awful or my son will rip me to shreds mm-hmm. in any way a teenage boy can. Mm-hmm. Or I won't get any compliments and mentions at all. But if I'm knocking around the house in a battered pair of jeans and a hoodie, my wife will tell me how great I'm looking. I'm just like, yeah, huh? <laughs> no, no, this is wrong. This is the, yeah. this is the terrible stuff. This is like my decorating outfit. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> I'm like, hang on, you never say <laughs> at me when I'm wearing something really cool. Yeah, you just take the Mickey out. It's made by Peruvian elves, and it, it's sustainable. And makes you just go, oh, is that one of your super sustainable things made by somebody you know on the internet? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the leg- level of mockery and disdain we must uh, tolerate. Yeah. Oh, That's a shame. So, so why do we why do we bother? Why do we do it? Because um, it's better than not bothering, you know. <laughs> that's that's the way I see it. It's like it's not something that maybe that many people care about too much. So. Or they do to a certain extent, but it's just—it's just a kind of. Not, I wouldn't even say it's a hobby. It's just a kind of more of a part of you. You know, you're either interested in it or you're not interested in it. You know, it's mm. like, you know, it's like people get. You know, even though, like as you say, I'm not that interested in jeans. It's, it's interesting to hear about people being interested in jeans, and I'm always interested in anybody that has an interest. I find interesting, regardless of whether you know whether it's. Um, train spotting like cardboard or, or what like uh, radiator fitments or, or you know i went down a rabbit hole once when, when my son was younger he had a wee bit of a thing about lamp posts and um <laughs> he would he would differentiate between lamp posts and um different lighting and lamp posts and so, so i just sat with him and we had a wee look in internet and yeah, fair enough. There was like appreciation societies, there was a level of detail in there you would not believe about different fitments and um, post-war fitments and, and um, concrete lampposts, you know, the, the space-saving, um, money-saving scheme post-war just to cast them from, from um, and, you know, people were sourcing, oh, I saw a Philips X, so, so-and-so lighting fixture and so-and-so street, and then they would flock to it. And I thought, you know, it's it's a weird thing, but it's something <laughs> somebody's interested in, yeah. so why knock it? Why, you know, and I think, like, there's this this culture at the moment that if you're interested in anything it's not cool you're not allowed to to show enthusiasm towards anything or, or you know be passionate about anything you know whether it's hobbies and, and kind of lost that i think i think we've lost that um way of thinking you know that if you are into train spotting or something it's just not deemed as cool you know it's deemed as a bit sad but then you know, you need to, you need to have an interest in life. It's like it's what life's about, isn't it? It's like you've got to have interests. That must be something that really separates us from animals, though. Yeah, 
Well, we've got a lot of spare capacity. We're not just trying to find a mate and not be killed and find enough food. Those after we've after we've done those things, we can we're free to do what we like, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. We've got somewhere nice to warm to stay. We've got food to, to feed us, so we don't need to concern ourselves on a daily basis. Um, though I have some cooking to do tonight, but I can't be asked. But um, yeah, we, we're, we're sort of we, we've, our mind can wander on to other other interests. Whatever that as bizarre as they might be, so obsessions with weird weights of fabric and, and real wool and cleaning shoes, it's fine. Is there anything we should uh, mention sort of in closing? Any trend forecasts? Any Anything we're looking for in the new year? Any new obsessions? I need to pay off Christmas, so probably not, no. Um, over, <laughs> overspent again on Christmas. Um, Always. Yeah, Every year, like no, we're not going out every year. So, um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, it's to say, I wouldn't mind just having a little bit more of a clear out again, and just trying to sort of rationalise. So, if I've got like three of something quite similar, pick one and sell the other two, kind of thing. It just, I need to maybe do a bit, a little bit more of that. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm on the clearing out the statement pieces. I think in the new year, so mm. the you know the Paul Hardens and your John Alexander Skelton stuff, mm. the stuff that is amazing but ultimately quite unwearable. And I've tried a couple of times, and you just kind of go, "Yeah, I'm not yeah an Edwardian gent in a massive house surrounded by <laughs> greyhounds and 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 wine yeah. and of luxurious ladies. That would be perfect in that environment." But you know, not day to day. Knocking around hospitals, for, yeah. Knocking around hospitals for work and the Sussex countryside with the dogs. Yeah, probably doesn't really fit. Ah, uh, it's not uh, not your thing. And it's been a, it's been a hard lesson to learn because there's, there's you just go, this should be the best thing ever. But mm-hmm. equally, I'm not twenty knocking around London trying to impress people with my crazed wardrobe of wonderment either. So you just mm-hmm. kind of go, they're just sitting there and they're mm-hmm. quite expensive bits, and someone will probably get some real love out of them. So. I've been clearing out in a different way. I've been clearing out all the bits that I didn't really care too much about. So I've been distilling my archive, my collection, as we know to name them, uh, down to just the bits that I really like, which has been incredibly liberating, not having to see all these clothes that I never wore and Mm -hmm. probably wouldn't unless it was because of my bad conscience. Well, that was that was that was this year. So I've already I've I was started on the same track as you this year. So I've got rid of the, yeah. the you know the end of it was that how many pairs of churches formal shoes do I have? I don't wear suits for work anymore. Right. I had a pair in acorn, a pair in chestnut, a pair in yeah. brown, a pair in oxford, a pair in black, and a pair in shiny black. You're like seven pairs of pretty much identical shoes mm-hmm. that I have no purpose and I will never wear. They're going to sit in boxes under the bed. Mm-hmm. So why not get the money for them? You know, why not get something so, for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I well, and Some of those I, I sold, I must admit, I sold for knockdown prices. Some of them I was selling for like, I think the cheapest ones I sold were £7.50 on eBay. Mm. And you've got to go new, what, what lot. new pair of shoes like that? Two, three hundred pounds? Yeah. Yeah, or at least, yeah. At least. Yeah. At least. Have you considered uh, spoofing your your physical um, location when you're selling, so that people think they're buying it from Malaysia and getting a really good deal? <laughs> um, it might be an, it might be a new it might be a new thing. Yeah, I could do that. 
I can do that. <laughs> I don't have the technology to do that. I've got no idea how no. to do that. I could ask my son. He'd probably know. Well, I... In... He'll probably put you on to Bitcoin Feb- as yeah, well. No. <laughs> Bitcoin. You, were you a Bitcoin fan, John? You were, weren't you? Weren't you? I did, yeah. I did, I did quite well out of Bitcoin, but obviously yeah. now it's... Going a yeah. bit tits up. Completely. Mm-hmm. I think my, my new year will be... Uh, my wife is going to knit me a feral... Uh, uh, vest with buttons because that is mm-hmm. something I desire and I have she said she'll do it so I've purposely not bought one although I keep seeing ones that look really nice and I'd sort of like instant gratification but instead I'll get to see over the months as it becomes mm-hmm. something from her knitting needles I'll kind of look forward to that and it also makes me wonder will it be more meaningful of to it will. Then than yeah. just Click and buy from somewhere else. If there's one item, one menswear item on eBay that will consistently sell for a high price, it is a Fair Isle um, tank top or a Fair Isle um, like cardigan. It just for some reason, it's like you cannot get a cheap one. You know, even people yeah. that are selling like hundred percent acrylic ones from the seventies, I've seen them get to fifty quid, like for vintage um, old M and S acrylic. Yeah. You know, when acrylic was king, we still got the ICI on the on the on the label, and um, yeah, give it's like a fair isle pattern at the front, forty fifty quid every every time. Um, if it's a wool one or a Ralph Lauren one, you, you you sort of double double it. It's crazy. Just... That must be down to uh, old creatures yeah. and vintage. Yeah, uh, yeah. there's no, there's no bargains to be had in that uh, in that market at all. So, yeah, if your wife can knit you one, that'd be great. Right. Okay. A very Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, etc. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, guys. Shall we say that's it? And thanks for joining me. That's fun. And that's all for this week's episode of Garmology. If you'd like to check out my guest further, there's links in the show notes. There's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee, which is perfectly optional. I'm just pleased you're listening. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest, just let me know what you think. It's uh, welldressedad at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram as welldressedad. So until next week, bye-bye.